wish that there were more than 24 hours in the day. Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for Blade Runner 2049. My name is Tom Chick. I am here with Christian Murkowski. Uh, I would like to be known as Constant M. Can I get my bonus? And with a tagline for Blade Runner 2049, Kelly Wand. Faye Dunaway says, Gosling's best since Moonlight. <laughs> okay, that's cute. That was worth like a, a half a chuckle, Kelly Wand. Do you, have, do you have one that would be worth a full chuckle? You should see the ones I cut. Uh, finally, a movie where Jared Leto plays someone weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you should see the ones I cut was a line from this movie by Jared Leto. Yeah. Dingus, well, if Tom had reacted, I would have gone, that's two. But he, <laughs> he just listened. Well, are there more? No. I saved my wad for this shit. <laughs> okay. Well, well, Dingus, don't give any spoilers away because maybe there are people out there who haven't seen it. Actually, I can I can say for with surety there are people out there who haven't seen this movie. <laughs> lots of them. Lots wow. and lots of them. Bold, bold stance. This movie bombed, which is weird to did me. It? But, oh, oh yeah. Oh, hugely. Bombed. It's ridiculous. Yeah, we'll bombed. get we'll get to that in a moment. So That's my point, point being, lots Pearls of people have, swine. lots of people have not seen this movie, Dingus. So don't spoil it for those people. Just give us the basics about Blade Runner twenty forty nine. They're not gonna listen then. All right. All right. This week we saw Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Mm-hmm. A 2017 sci-fi thriller neo-noir sequel movie mm. about, like, tears in snow. It was directed by Denis Villeneuve. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sounds good in any language. <laughs> Written by Hampton Fancher. Good in any language. And Michael Green. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He wrote Logan. What's wrong with you? And Green Lantern. Michael Green Lantern? Logan, Logan. Based on characters from the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. Uh, I guess uh, you're not going to mention the cinematographer. Normally you wouldn't, but I feel like sometimes you should. All right. And it was cinematographied by Roger Deakins. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. And he photographed the yeah. F out of that. It stars Dave Bautista. Uh. Right. <laughs> Come on, laugh for me, Kelly. Everyone, laugh. Come on. I'm in a hotel in Holland. It's scary. Oh, that's right. They don't uh. laugh at you. They're going to hear a lot of it, too. They'll just think it's Santa Claus. <laughs> I heard my roommates when they like, yeah, it is in a way, in a Krampus way. Ryan Gosling. Robin Wright. Uh. <laughs> Sylvia Hook. Uh, sure. Carla. Oh yeah. Carla. Carla Yuri. And they're all Dwayne Johnson. Blade Runner twenty forty nine <laughs> is rated R for yeah. violence, mm-hmm. some sexuality, mm-hmm. nudity, yep, and language. Mm-hmm. Uh, passes the sum test. So in me. Kelly Wan, is there anything missing from, from those those things that parents should know about? I think it's fun for all human ages and Series 8 replicants age 3 and up. <laughs> That's 
a middle-aged replicant. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 was expected to open around $50 million. It fell far short of that, barely squeaked past $30 million. Uh, What are people doing? Because it's three hours? Never mind. Well, I don't know. Well, it can't I mean, be scheduled. It's hard to schedule a movie that's two hours and forty-five minutes long. It's, it, yeah, but if yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I wonder if there's an if they overestimate the appeal of of a license Maybe. this old. Uh, I don't know if I, I mean, I would think Ryan Gosling would bring out people. I, I don't know. It's odd to me. Yeah. I don't know if it's a marketing thing, um, if it's a time of year. Maybe it's uh, a Blade Runner thing. I mean, it, that's probably, Kelly Wan, what the conventional wisdom will be, is that nobody really needed a Blade Runner sequel. See? Uh, but we'll talk about that in a moment. So uh, it opened <laughs> at number one, didn't make nearly as much money as was it was expected to make. Uh, let's see, Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, it's at 81. On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are negative is 11. So it's at 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. <clears throat> cinema score, and here's what kind of surprised me. The people – well, this doesn't surprise me because the way cinema score works, as I've said before, you go to a movie this is a, this is people that decided on Friday night to go see this movie. And a lot of times it has to do with uh, does this movie – well, does, does the marketing really uh, portray what this movie is? Did people get misled? Um, people who went to see Mother on a Friday night were going to see a Jennifer Lawrence thriller, and they came out of there, and they was like, this. They had no idea what to make of it, and they gave it an F. I think the kind of people who went to see Blade Runner 2049 on a Friday night, its opening night, they went because they wanted to see a Blade Runner sequel, and they got that. So on CinemaScore, it got an A-, minus, which is pretty much what all movies should get on CinemaScore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. But it didn't make much money, and uh, that will be – it'll be interesting to see what kind of fallout uh, this has. But uh, there you go. Yes, Kelly Wan. Yes. Well, money isn't everything. That's what I would tell the studio because they're <laughs> going to go to bed that night and go, you know what? I made Blade Runner. Right. And the idiots who didn't see it didn't make it. That is very true, Kelly Wand. <laughs> so I would console myself. Uh, and that's why you don't run a studio. Yeah, but I mean, some stuff grows over time, and Blade Runner was like that too. So it seems weird oh. that you wouldn't go. Well, the first one had no. Well, one the thing is, Kelly Wand, if you, if you consider Blade Runner uh, part of '80s nostalgia, and look at how things like Stranger Things and It, that Stephen King movie, uh, are doing, you look at the the ongoing Aliens franchise, even though those aren't lighten up the box office you know they're they're making money so i i don't know uh i i'm certainly i'm super surprised uh how does stranger things relate to this because i I don't know stranger things it's 80s nostalgia it's basically nostalgia for stephen king and stuff that was in the 80s and uh that that this is more than nostalgia so therefore it should make more money (laughs) well let's get into that but first kelly wan i want to let the listeners know we're going to spoil stuff in blade runner 2049 Especially the stuff that happens in the plot right now, because Kelly Wand is going to tell you everything that happens in the movie. He's going to tell you that in synopsis form. Kelly Wand, what would such a thing be called? Blapsis, Renopsis, 2490. Yeah. 2049s. All right, that's what I want to hear. Take us away, Kelly Wand. Blapsis, Renopsis, 2490. 
a blue eye opens and stares at me like in Vanilla Sky and Lost. Some Blade Runner words, right? In a future slightly less dystopian than the actual 2017, the Tyrell Corporation stock prices fell because Rutger Hauer clawed that guy's eyes out, thereby ending their chess game in a stalemate. Now, Jared Leto runs everything because he solved a famine somehow, and because his replicants haven't gone overtly insane on screen yet. He's blind, maybe? Also, since modern Tokyo already looks too Blade Runner-y, everything that was Japanese in the last movie is now Russian-looking. Ha-ha, ghost in the shell. <laughs> also, killing replicants is still known by the same term that the last few Ridley Scott movies brought to mind. Retirement. But the cop mm. characters who hunt them are still <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Appreciate that. I wasn't sure. But the cop characters who hunt them are still arbitrarily known by our franchise name. Blade Runners. Harrison Ford stands up behind me and shouts, Should have used voiceover! (laughs) (laughs) Gosling drives in some rain while he's asleep. Emma Stone pulls up and honks angrily at him and speeds (laughs) off. Meanwhile, the laughing guy from Guardians of the Galaxy, who I'm pretty sure played Chief Bromden, puts on glasses and starts mining worms in a mud pit. After a few close-ups of him in a hazmat suit staring at them and then at us bewildered, he comes home. <laughs> My cabbage is burning! <laughs> Gosling tricks him by sitting down in plain view. Okay, Andre the Goblin, it's me, Gosling. I'm a Blade Runner in this. Uh, I need you to look up and to the left. Uh, Costner used it in JFK. Also, I notice your uh, cabbage pot there's a military issue. <laughs> I'll tell you about my mother. <laughs> Instead of doing so, Bautista throws Gosling through some walls and stabs him in the pancreas. Beside me, Paul Dano stands up and goes, Ha ha, Gosling getting his ass kicked again. (laughs) Everybody came to my screening. I wish they would. It was kind of rude for them to all stand up constantly. But it was still cool to see them there, supporting the arts. Gosling's all. Big mistake there, Chief Puddinhead. You just brought a knife to a synthetic pancreas fight. He shoots Bromden in the chest where he thinks his pancreas is, then goes, Hey, now roll your eye with irritation at me while I use this machine here to take a selfie. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer Lawrence represented climate change. Retirement is a success, and soon Gosling is triumphantly walking past a single dead tree carrying a baggie with some eyeballs in it. Behind him in the house. 
I am Groot. Ben's only lied, and he can't even say that right. (laughs) (laughs) Gosling yawns, then stops to take a look at a dead tree. He looks at us and goes, By the way, I uh, improvised all my scenes in this where I look like I'm thinking. You're welcome, Deacons. <laughs> Later, Gosling clocks in at work. Cells, intellect, yes. Have some? You can say that again. Tell me about it. Knock, knock. Have some. <laughs> you find a jacket with a scorpion on it. I'd kill it. True or false? You read for Green Lantern. Uh, interlinked. How come that pig has a wooden leg? The booth? Eva Mendez still thinks she played Ghost Rider opposite her. Interlinked. Ridley Scott stole this scene from the opening of uh, Alien Covenant. Is an alien what? Place Beyond the Pines is your nickname for which body part? That's easy. Interlinked. Okay, great work. We're done here. Um, you only missed the ones where you said interlinked. Not sure why you thought that was a valid answer. Your cinema score rating is in forward slash A. Claire from House of Cards comes in. Like in House of Cards, she's the chief of police. She's all, damn it, Gosling, I hate you in this. Hey, check it out. Batista buried some bones in that cabbage pot. Stop, go back, enhance this picture of the cabbage. See that? Serial numbers, baby. Model Sean Young, C-. Spotting numbers under microscopes is my superpower in this, uh, not just shooting Indians. Looks like judging from its skeleton. This replicant gave birth to a handsome child. Claire's all, oh, gross, shit. Who knew litter? (laughs) Claire from House of Cards is all, who knew installing uteruses into replicants would lead it to reproduction eventually? Okay, listen, I need you to find this 30-year-old baby and kill it. But first, tell me a fake childhood memory of yours. I could use a good laugh. Uh, this is... My only one, actually. Uh, my childhood was mostly me noticing numbers on things. Now, this memory gives a good sense of who, which gosling I am in this. Some bullies chased me because they wanted my wooden horse. Because it has my birthday stenciled on its back hooves. So I hid it in a furnace in some pantyhose. Why would you call a spaceship Covenant? She's all speaking of which. What's going to happen when I finish this drink? She hastily finishes the drink and gives Gosling her that's code for wanting sex look. Yeah, I should get back to work, man. He gets up and instead of working, goes home to his hologram wife, Penelope Cruz Botson 69. Since she's Latina, her name's Joy. Hey, Penelope, look what I got you. Oh, an emulator. Yep. <laughs> this will help you feel rained on harder. Just like a real wet dame. Also, it lets us have sex with prostitutes, which I know one of us wanted. And best of all, comes with call waiting, so I don't miss anything if you take too long on the kissing. <laughs> she changes clothes a bunch of times since the 049 tech for holograms being nude only exists in giant pink 3D. They go outside to kiss in the rain like in the notebook. She's all, oh, Gosling, you're like a blood. On Chappie. Yeah, well, my name in this is serial number K-Pack-something-sad-face-goss-lobot-4-F. 
But to enhance the romantic illusion, just call me serial number. He sticks his tongue out to kiss her lip phosphors, but she freezes and turns into a window that says House of Cards, Robocock blocking call incoming. <laughs> he sighs and goes, Gosling, I mean, Gosling, put the Gerald's game bot away and get down here. There's some new exposition. Gosling sighs and instead goes to see Edward James almost, who's sitting in a bench room and old. Yeah, I was a Metro Leguizamo pimp with a cane in the first movie. In 82, that looked like the future of Mexicans in L.A. I reminded Harrison's character that we all die, which I hope he found helpful. Also, here's the proof he's a Cylon. He hands Gosling an origami unicorn. Yeah, that was my parking receipt there, Miami Vice. My question to you was, do I need to get that validated? <laughs> also... If your horses aren't made of wood and numbered, I'm not interested. Gosling storms off to visit Jared Leto, who has a beard and CG eyes. Jared Leto's all. Eisenberg read for this. He hits a button. The giant saran wrap baggie. Uh, yeah. I guess I didn't need to even say it. It's the same. Never mind. Jerry Luda hits a button. A giant saran wrap baggie lowers on some tenor hooks and gives birth to a slightly pregnant goth soaking in orange juice. He cuts her womb open with a knife, then turns to Gosling and goes, And that's how I solve world famine. Sir or madam, have you seen any bones with serial numbers on them under a microscope? Wait, that was me. You're under arrest. <laughs> Bam K. Jansen walks up in a lab coat. She's all, I think I work here as a scientist, but I'm also a cop later in Robin Wright's office. Kelly's a little high. <laughs> wow. Leto's all, Mr. Gosling, dropping robots out of baggies may look repetitive, but it's no substitute for sexual reproduction. I need Sean Young's vagina and any baby that came out of it, which you're already looking for, so this conversation was probably pointless. <laughs> Costling concurs and trades up to go stare at Bautista's dead tree again. He rubs snow off the stump and sees the following date, 6 He stares at it while the camera zooms in on his nostril and it follows music plays. He goes back to work, turns on a DNA Kindle and stares at lines of DNA text super fast. He looks at us and goes, yeah, that's right. I don't just kill robots in this. I can read two pages of DNA code side by side faster than a complete list of Ratna's Askanoms. And stop. The screen's all. Inconclusive visit to San Diego Orphanage. Faithfully recommended. Gosling flies over San Diego cheerfully. Stupid Batista. That's the last time anyone gets a drop on Gosling. Down below, some kids emerging from Comic-Con giggle and mistaking him for Emilio Estevez shoot down his plane. <laughs> Gosling shakes his fist as he goes into a tailspin. Damn it, you mischievous tattered millions. I'm here seeking an orphanage on police business. Your parents will be getting a very angry note from my Hispanabot, unless you're orphans, obviously, in which case I'll just leave them with the school nurse or warden, whoever will talk to me. Gosling parks by crashing, then uses a remote to make a drone come out of his car's roof and dimly record the laughing kids scavenging the car for parts and beating them with pipes. While he goes to an orphanage. There, some different, balder kids all strain to touch him. 
One's all, I loved you in the Straw Dogs remake. Another's all. <laughs> that was for Tom. Another is all, Captain America's the only superhero both my mom and grandpa jerk off to. Yeah, uh, okay, I believe you have me mistaken for Lutz or Redford. I did read for Thor, but they said I had dead eyes. <laughs> the kids and their touching grow tiresome, so Famke Jansen shoots missiles at them from her lab. Gosling rolls his eyes, eventually pulls out his gun, and points all three at the head of the black guy who runs the orphanage. Look, we can't fill another two hours of me just staring at the space. Now show me who signed your guest book on page 247, or I'll blow your stupid brains all over these replicate younglings here. One of the kids all, uh, we're not replicate, but uh, Gosling's already shoved the kindly old man into a book room. On the way, stopping to admire the color scheme of a nearby stairwell leading to some radiators. <laughs> with that tone <laughs> not bad Gosling looks at us and goes by the way all the footage of my car flying through fog in this I improvised some of that fog using natural secretions the black guy looks up and goes hey look the pages are missing guess whatever you're looking for hates print <laughs> or just the middles of stuff yeah, thanks for nothing. Your orphanage has been a huge disappointment. Gosling Goss walks out, then sees some furnaces that look like a flashback. He goes to the flue of the nearest one and pulls his horse out. It has the magic numbers on its hooves. The It Follows music yells at us. <laughs> Gosling looks at us and goes, You guys get it? The speed's of a replicate. I mean... <laughs> In front of me, Jennifer Lawrence stands up and goes, Ha ha, no one understands your movie. (laughs) People sure are heckling him. My screening. To acquire more cryptic exposition, Gosling goes to a dream lady who's like an Audrey Hepburn version of Saoirse Ronan and lives in a bubble. He's all, hey, tell me if what I'm about to describe to you is a real dream I had or just something I saw in a John Woo movie. I put a wood horse with my birthday on its hooves in a furnace you know like rosebud then some kids beat me up because they really wanted a crude wooden toy with my birthday on it the dream lady tears up and goes yup gosling that really happened hmm part of me wants to ask a follow-up question if it happened to me but you don't look like someone who just jerked my chain i got a made for that he looks over at us and goes by the way i improvised all the shots where i look confused it wasn't easy for me to try and find my artificial side, either. I had to do a lot of Zima, both the noun and verb, and blow. The dream lady looks at us and goes, Is this my only scene? My part is somewhat critical, I think, in this. How did I get here? The camera hastily cuts to some shots of giant pyramids and fog while synthesizers scowl and snore at us. Gosling comes home. Penelope Cruz is all, hey, good news, since we're both computers, I brought home this prostitute who looks like Cameron from Halt and Catch Fire. Ready? <laughs> she hits a button. Oh, yeah, this is great. Okay, Cameron, now raise your hand while she does. Not so high. Okay, now lean forward. No, your other forward. Okay, your eyes are bigger than hers. Squint a little. Try and look a little more dead. Okay, walk forward. No, normally. Okay, hug me on three. No, on three. It's like pottery wheel and ghost. One, two, no, on three. That's not a hug. 
Not you, Penelope. You stay down there. Here. What are you? Move your vaginas here. You're your vagina. Forget it. I'll just use that. Eventually, they find out Gosling has no penis, so the hooker leaves. <laughs> that scene bummed me out. The Penelope Cruz bought Saul. It's okay, Gosling. It happens to most replicants. But the good news is that only half the kids seeing this right now came because they think you played Deadpool. <laughs> you're not just saying that because you're programmed to make me think I'm special, are you? She freeze frames with her mouth open again, even though there's no incoming call this time. He gets the hint. He goes to see his black friend. Hey, Frenchie, Captain Phillips cheated, by the way. I consider that a draw. So is this horse I'm holding an implanted memory or a replicant? The only dick I've ever read is Richard III, assuming that's the Roman one. The black friend's all. Let me see your wood. After a few minutes of misunderstandings that Gosling then tells us he improvised, the black friend's all. Yeah, the only place with wood this radioactive is, well, you'll see in the next shot. Although maybe it's just a place that looks like Vegas. That would be ironic, eh? Yeah, I wasn't listening. Uh, and that number on the horse's hooves, I think that might be the horse's birthday. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 think, I think that's your birthday. <laughs> Why would I need to write my own birthday on a wooden horse? I already know it. June something. After an awkward silence, he goes home, uploads his Penelope Cruz bot into a joystick, and flies to Vegas. It's all Orange and possibly radioactive, which, since Ford's able to live there, means Ford must be a replicant. Although he looks older, but maybe Tyrell made him so he ages. Gosling carefully avoids some tripwires, then loses interest in stealth and bangs a piano key over and over. City of Blades, why don't you ride on me? <laughs> Harrison Ford walks in and punches him in the face a bunch of times. That's what would really happen. For fun, they giggle and play grab ass around an Elvis hologram. And then a Frank Sinatra one. Gosling's all, hey, by the way, I'm your son. I came out of that thing down there in your pants. Harrison Ford punches him some more. I told you people to stop waking me up for these sequels unless it's for Hollywood homicide. <laughs> 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 all right stop hitting jesus so blade rider to blade rider tell me what you thought when this face slid out of sean young i thought it's a girl <laughs> yeah it's my hips harrison ford's casino radar starts chirping he's all great the cops are here thanks for ruining my life Daddy, tell me something about my childhood besides me failing to burn up this horse correctly. I only remember that and growing boobs. You idiot, those were implants. I grew boob implants? That explains so much. A dog walks up, sniffs Gosling, and pees on his leg. Gosling's all, is this pee real? Does it matter? Suddenly, Famke Jansen blows up a wall and flies a car into the room. She gets out, steps on Gosling's joystick, and goes... <laughs> Yeah, I did stuff to House of Cards' hand, and I think I'm Jared Leto's secretary? She shrugs, kidnaps Ford, and flies off while Gosling falls asleep. When Gosling wakes up, 
Cameron the hooker, and a bunch of extras surround him like the orphanage kids did. She's all, Gosling, it's us. The replicasistance. Uh, all right, I get it. I'm the chosen one, son of Han Solo from the first movie, and you want me to lead you. I'm like the John Connor meets Neo of Blade Runner. All you feel free to take a knee. Cameron's all. Uh, yeah, the dream lady's the kid. We just want you to kill Ford, because he might tell the cops about this cave, and we don't want to have to move. Good luck, serial number. Uh, uh, well, I still consider this me solving a case. Meanwhile, in a water room, Giolito blinks at Harrison Ford and goes, I hear you're good at inseminating replicants. He snaps his fingers. CG Sean Young <laughs> with crossed eyes walks up to Ford and goes, Is this testing whether I'm a replicant or a lesbian? Check out my owl. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> yeah, the one I banged wasn't CG. Also smaller knobs, and her teeth were green. The voice is right, though. <laughs> Famke, you know what to do. Famke shoots Sean Young. Jared Leto's on. Uh, no, I meant shoot Harrison. Fuck it. Just driving somewhere near some water while I hang out here. Famke does so and is flying flanked by two wingmen like Vader through some rain when suddenly Gosling does a Harrison and shoots the other two ships. That's right, bitches. Gosling coming through. Only my car has guns, just like in La La Land. <laughs> sure hope Harrison Ford wasn't on one of those I blew up there. <laughs> Gosling tricks Famke by Famke crashing. And they fist fight while Ford yawns and sits in the car and looks glumly at the water. <laughs> Famke finally tricks Gosling by shooting him. Then she wipes her hands, goes, I'm the best, and walks back into her car to stare at Ford some more. <laughs> Gosling tricks her by being underwater like Jaws, then chokes her out. <laughs> I saw lots of tributes. Ford's all, I'm proud of you, Ron. It's Ryan. Ryan Gosling. Blade Runner. 2040-11 or something. Now, come on. Let's go into exile. Everyone will assume we're both dead, unless, obviously, they find this car with Famke's choked corpse in it and or the wreckage of the cars I just shot down right there in the street. <laughs> Hopefully that won't happen because it's raining. He drives forward to the Dream Lady's college campus or something. Then he's all, go say hi to your daughter while I die in the snow. I already saw her once. Ford goes in, stares at the Dream Lady baffled, then looks at us. It's an episode seven stare off. The Dream Lady's all, do we at least see a little of this conversation between this iconic character here and me? I'm his daughter. Some words tell me for 11 minutes who trained the replicants to carry all the lighting equipment and hold the IMAX cameras and also had to do all the CG. And then I bought some pants. The end. <sighs> all right. A lot of biographical touch. That was great. I tend to write a whole autobiography. Oh, that was wonderful. That was absolutely wonderful. Well done, Kelly. Well done. Dingus, uh, I have a question for you. Yes. What's a movie that's slightly better than this and a movie that's not quite as good as it? 
All right. I would say that um, the movie Her is slightly better than this. Dingus, I would like you to pick something that I didn't choose. <laughs> okay. Hmm. I would choose him then. Uh, no, I, I think Her is slightly better than this. I, I really love this. I'm, I'm sorry. I know it's super long. I know it's... Wait, why it's, are you saying you're sorry? Because it's long? I, like I don't know. Life. I don't know if everybody's going to like it. I really loved this movie. I'm I'm kind of gaga over it, um, but I loved her just a, just a tad bit more, uh, and I couldn't help but thinking about her. And as I'm watching the movie and writing my notes, I'm writing over and under ideas as I'm going along. And when you first, you know, get introduced to the Emanator, I couldn't help but think of her. Um, and I. I kind of like the way that both movies do that. I like the love story more in her, though. Uh, so for that reason alone, I would choose her over this. And then I couldn't help but think of Oblivion as well, uh, which, as I've watched uh, since we did the podcast on it, I did not like it when we did the podcast on it, but I like it a little bit more now, so I would put Oblivion just under this. Wow, that's uh. a good – yeah, I didn't even – good call with the Oblivion thing. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, I also chose her, but uh, my my category is uh, mesmerizing movies about relationships and identity by visionary directors at the top of their game. So for that reason, uh, uh, Oblivion, which I also think qualifies as a a movie about relationships and identity, uh, that wouldn't really apply because I think – Joseph Kaczynski, is that his name? I keep screwing up his name. I I think he's still got a ways to go. compared to what uh, Denis Villeneuve has done here. Instead, right. a movie that I, I, th- I like this more than her, and I, don't, I, I love her. Her is brilliant. It's Spike Jones at the top of his game. Uh, there's some amazing stuff in there about relationships and identity and the nature of, of what real love is comprised of. Uh, but I like this even more than her. I didn't like this as much as Under the Skin. Uh, and it's close because I think Under the Skin is also a mesmerizing movie about relationships and identity. It's Jonathan Glazer, a visionary director at the top of his game. Uh, I love this thing too. And I, you know, Dingus, you told me before I went to see it how long it was, and I thought you were saying that in a disparaging way. But I think this is a movie that earns every minute of its two hour and 43 minute running time. I mean, I, you know, there were some gratuitous bits here, but I wouldn't dream of cutting a piece of it. Uh, I love how kind of slow and languid it was. It reminded me a lot of the original Blade Runner for that reason. But uh, I would make no apologies about this movie's length. Uh, um, I, I like that you said that. Um, when I was warning you, it was more about uh, don't bump up too close to when we have to record for going to see the movie. Because when I, when I went to look at times, because it was really my time window for seeing movies is often pretty tight. Uh, when I went to have to look to time times to see it, and I saw that it was two hours and 45 minutes, I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to work that in? Um, so I just wanted to make sure you you were aware of that just so you could schedule your time. I do. Time. I am a little bit bummed that we're recording now because I, I – Kelly, I'm sorry. We'll get to you in a second. Uh, I would have loved to have been able to see this a second time before we recorded. Yeah, me it, too. It, to, I almost – yeah. To the point where I, I would have said, you know, could we put this off for a day just so I can go tomorrow because I just saw it this afternoon. Uh, yeah. And also just to think you about it more. That. <laughs> well, I, I would like to see this. As, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm also I think it's equally valuable to talk about it when it's fresh on my mind. Uh, but there are questions I have for you guys 
that I would have had answers for if I got a chance to see it a second time. But instead, you guys are going to have to help me out there. So Kelly Wand, <laughs> real quick, what's a movie that's better than this and a movie that's not quite as good? Uh, my three by three, I kind of bombed on because they just not a three by three. Kelly one saved oh, the yeah, bombing the on the three by three. I bombed on that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the over under, I did terrible <laughs> on because I wanted to do belated sequels that the public's too dumb for, and mm-hmm. I like grudgingly put Fury Road over it, and then I couldn't think of an under. It's like I couldn't think of one a belated sequel that the public was too dumb for that was good. Belated, great belated sequels are few and far between. Few and far between. And Why not there just you, use the, the Star Wars movie you didn't like? Um, well, it's not a sequel. Oh, you mean Episode 7? Yeah. Well, that public one. wasn't too dumb for that. Yeah, it was so just, it was exactly the public was the just right. dumb enough, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, I wasn't dumb enough. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be dumber. I was jealous. But the thing, and I love the length of Blade Runner, too. Uh, I wouldn't change anything. And the things that I don't, there's things about it that kind of bug me about the ending and the story, but I can, I like them just because even those are kind of like how a lot of Philip K. Dick novel ends. Like they sort of had been said sometimes, and like just as a revolution's about to go in, like ones like the simulacra and crack in space, they just seem to go on and they just, all right, I'm done and just stops writing. And so you're sort of left to like figure patterns into it or if they're there or not and so it, it seemed true to form um but i was curious if you guys liked this movie as an ending to the story or if it's like a setup for others well, what was your under i couldn't think of one so then i just uh, changed it yeah you can't i'm the only one allowed to opt out of an over or an under <clears throat> all right cops and dystopias <laughs> My over's dread and my under is runaway. <laughs> I don't know. I can't do that. It's a tough movie to over under. It's, there's nothing I don't, on I don't believe, side of it. Kelly, one, I don't believe for a second that you liked dread more than this. No, I didn't like dread more than this. But um, dread was an exciting surprise. <laughs> you know? And this was what I was hoping for. Yeah. Um, and you know what's interesting to me is the reviews I'm reading, the thing that strikes me is like, what? Because um, most people like the movie, and they go, one of the best things about it is Harrison Ford. And to me, he was like the weakest link in the movie. Like, Well, as as our resident Harrison Ford detractor, because we've had this discussion before, yeah, where I maintain – where I maintain that that Dwayne Johnson is a better actor than than Harrison Ford, uh, and you know there's some caveats to that, and that's more of a discussion point than a hill that I would die on. But as as the guy who uh, I, I think is the least impressed by Harrison Ford's acting on this podcast, I really liked him in this, and I liked how mm. Denise Villeneuve Denis Villeneuve gave him opportunities to act. Um, yeah. Yeah. I you know just just they let him do some face work and I think a lot of movies not that they don't trust him but that's not why they hire Harrison Ford they want him to be crotchety or or you know yeah. roguish, roguish when he was younger crotchety now but the scenes Is where Decker, where he's responding to to the the uh, Sean Young the the Rachel replicant being brought out mm-hmm. you know that that's Harrison that's Ford good. acting I was like yeah, yeah good for you look at you go and even. You know, he had to f- basically carry the last shot of the movie. Kelly Wand, you were making a joke about how it yep. cuts off the conversation between him and his daughter. But I don't think 
Well, I, he managed with some facial expressions to tell me what I needed to know there. And I don't think the movie was concerned about the substance of that conversation so much as it was concerned with the decision that Ryan Gosling's character made to bring that conversation about. Like, I don't think the movie cared about what they were going to say to each other. It, that wasn't the that's the MacGuffin movie, though. right? Well, no, no, exactly. That's, right, that's, right. That's, that's a good way. Really to put it. well. That's really well put, Tom. Because I think I I immediately thought of in a different way the last shot of um, Edge of Tomorrow or Live Die Repeat, and how Tom Cruise has to carry that last shot, and it's just all about. Well, you guys are just going to have to understand that this conversation is going to go on in whatever way it's going to go on. Go on. Tell me what it's, the last shot of, of the of that is. I don't remember it. It's him walking in where she's training at the end, and him dressed yeah, in his major costume. Smile. And he just does it, that smile. He just does that, yeah. that high-wattage smile of his. And is it is, after everything's been repeated and he's coming in and nobody is the wiser? She doesn't know any of it. She okay, doesn't right, know. Right, right, and right. he knows that he's, they're going to live through his face understanding is all, what that is. And his face, <laughs> his face okay. is... Everything that's going to go yeah. on forward, I'm it's a great ending. you as as the as the viewers. And what you just described, Tom, and I didn't even think about it until you described it, is what Harrison Ford is doing at the end of this. And I, so, I, Kelly Wan, I, uh, I will go to bat for him uh, in this. I, I really liked him. I was expecting wow, I'm for so him to – see, in the, by the way, going into the movie, I didn't – I. I didn't know anything about what the story was going to be, yeah. but I, I had some misgivings about Harrison Ford being in it because I didn't understand how his story could be relevant anymore. You know, it, it, he he left the first movie, and I didn't need a reboot of his storyline. Uh, so I, I would have loved to not know he was in this. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the too. posters are kind of a spoiler. So I right. wished I hadn't known. But even knowing he was in it and thinking, okay, we're going to get some Harrison Ford at some point. When he finally showed up, I was super happy with it. Me too. I thought it was just going to be a cameo. I didn't realize it was going to be that substantive a role. Yeah. I mean, I was really, really pleased with what he did. I mean, we have a, a listener named Shaheen Ali who thinks this is a near-perfect sequel. I mean, that's how he describes this. It's a near-perfect sequel, but still, he, of all the great things that he says, and I'll try to feather those in as we talk about, he was a no on Harrison Ford uh-huh. because he, he found the that the fight seemed forced. I don't know if that he's making a pun there, but uh, he said that the fight seemed forced to him. Yeah. I disagree. I, I thought the fight was fine. And I thought that Denis Villeneuve and the way uh, Deacons uh, filmed that whole darkness and the fight in the darkness really worked. And it didn't feel that artificial way that often these fights feel like we're trying to hide the fact that this person is too old or too um, unable to do fight choreography to be able to show them in full view. I thought it really made sense. Uh, was that what Decker would do? <laughs> but for Shaheen Ali, it was, it was just too much force of a fight. And he didn't like uh, Harrison Ford in this. Dingus, what are some other uh, listener responses that we got? Because apparently we got a lot of email about this. Uh, we did. We got plenty of email. Um, we got somebody named Mike Cathcart, who's almost entire his his entire email was basically uh, Jared Leto. What? <laughs> All right, let's music, talk. Oh, and music ahead. loud. So uh, uh, we have a bunch of uh, listeners, and I'll talk about people like. Uh, Aaron Kane and who? Uh, what, else, what else? As we talk about music later on, but Cathcart's main thing was Jared Leto. What? 
All right, let's talk about the cast then in general. Uh, starting with Jared Leto. Uh, Jared Leto's a weirdo. I think he took – none of us wants to see a Jared Leto Joker movie. Uh, I think we would all agree he kind of weakened the Suicide Squad movie, whatever its other faults were. Uh, what did we think of him in this? Were we, were we down on him like Cathcart? Uh, he's a necessary part of the plot. He doesn't get a, he doesn't get much of an arc, and he's off screen for the third act mostly, except for the Ford stuff. Um, I think it's I think it's a weird character in that there's no comeuppance for him really. I mean, he gets to no. just do, and I kind of like that about the script actually. And I think that that works having him in the end, I think having him cast um, works in the end because uh, I honestly honestly don't care if he lives or dies. And if I were more invested in the character, maybe I would care that he were tracked, that the, that somebody tracked him down and killed him um, because he is the ultimate, ultimately the bad guy in the movie instead of his henchman being killed and him just being left to, you know, torture other people on off-world planets. I guess is is going is going to be his thing. Um, but I thought he was fine. I, I just loved the writing in the stuff that he was doing, and I liked that. I liked that Denis Villeneuve let it go on as long as it did. That he would just be. It was like he was reciting poetry for long periods of time in, in that water room, as you put it, Kelly. Uh, I I, and I think that. Jared Leto can do that type of thing. I think he can. I think he can handle that kind of thing. But I think a number of actors could. I don't know that he made that big of an impression on me. But I didn't want to see him killed. I don't know. I. I, I don't know that he made that big of an impression on me. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I liked what he was doing. I liked how weird it was. Um, don't know why. I mean, it, in the context of the movie, him being this autistic genius with these toys at his disposal and completely amoral. Uh, imagine like a less cuddly version of Oscar Isaacs in, in Ex Machina. He was, kind ah. of, he was kind of like that kind of character. So I, I liked how weird he was, and mm. I liked this idea of him being as a contrast Oof. as a contrast to Terrell and maybe a nod to what happens to Terrell. I liked him being blind and not yeah. having eyes and instead having these floating mechanical eyes that he saw through. Uh, so just as a little bit of like technology – fetishism kind of just a a little special effects gimmick uh i liked what they did with them and i think it's important too uh so the three things i i was eager to see this movie for uh i mean i'm happy to see a blade runner sequel but i of course love denis villeneuve as a director uh I, i adore roger deacon's cinematography and I am fascinated by the fact that Hampton Fancher, the guy who wrote the original Blade mm-hmm. Runner, we don't have a body of work from him. He yeah. is not a guy who's written a lot of movies, and he's been a character actor. He did one weird little uh, serial killer movie with Owen Wilson called uh, The Minus Man, which I think is a fascinating movie. So I love the idea that this guy who's not a part of Hollywood, they didn't get the the Green Lantern script writer to do the sequel. They got Hampton Fancher. And then they brought this other guy, Michael Green, in to sort of adapt it to a screenplay format. So I was super curious about those three things. Those were three main reasons I really wanted to see the movie. And I'm delighted with all three of those. And specifically, I'm I'm delighted with the script and the story that Hampton Fancher gave us. And a part of that is 
how it flips expectations that you get from Blade Runner because it's right. a sequel. And this is not about a corporation getting its comeuppance or falling apart or being held accountable for what it's doing and its disregard for life. It's not about that. And we think it's going to be about that, and it starts to ramp up about that kind of thing. Uh, and we have all kinds of expectations based on Blade Runner, what it's going to be about. But it, it pivots partway through and becomes about something else. And part of that pivot, Jared Leto's character is not going to get his comeuppance. This corporation mm -hmm. is not going to be brought low. That's not what the movie is about. That's not what it's concerned about. So I, I liked Jared Leto's character, and I specifically loved that he – didn't get any comeuppance, because I think that's an important part of the script. Um, well, Andrew Neller, one of our listeners who wrote in, uh, who goes by Drew, uh, agrees with you. He loved him in this. He, he loved Jared Leto. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and what also, a, I, I would say that Andrew Neller saw this in 3D, and he said it's worth it. Seeing it ah, 3D. well, I'm not sure I'm willing uh, to believe that, but <laughs> I did uh, see it in IMAX, and I'm super glad I saw it in IMAX. Wow, I, really? I was so bummed after not seeing Dunkirk and IMAX that I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna, not gonna let another opportunity slip by. I'm gonna go ahead and just, I have the opportunity. I'll see it in IMAX. Man, it's a beautiful movie, and just in IMAX, it, it, I was so glad I saw it in IMAX. Uh, wow. It's just, it's, it's great just filling the screen, being that big in front of you. Uh, I think it earned its place. It's one. Of, it's, it, you know, the, the sound design. Uh, who was it? Did you say Shahina? No. Who said the music was too loud? Someone here said the music was too loud, but even I uh, like it was Kath, it was my Cathcart. Oh yeah, and, the guy. Right. And by the way, when the as soon as the movie started, and our theater was incredibly loud. Uh, and Mike Cathcart is the one who said the music was too loud, but the but the at the theater I went to see it too. It's it's the ArcLight in Pasadena, and at, at any of the ArcLights, you have a, a a person who comes in and says, "This is the movie you're going to see," uh, and she said, "There's going to be seven minutes of previews." And sometimes the previews are a little louder than the movie, so don't worry about that, and then the movie will start. The movie started, and it was overwhelmingly loud, so much so that uh, Alexandra, who was sitting next to me and watching the movie, was like, whoa, this movie is loud. And when the music would crank up, she would actually have to do what we do for trailers. She would have to actually put her hands over her ears. It was so loud. And there was actually a moment late in the movie, at the climax of the movie, where one of the speakers up to our back right Exploded. sounded like it blew. <laughs> um, like, like it sounded like one of the parts of the speaker blew. So this movie was really loud. I don't mind that. I think it was appropriate. But anyway, Tom, you were going somewhere with that. I'm sorry. Concert. Well, I, I like – I mean it, it's only as loud as you turn it up. I mean if, the, if it's if it inappropriately loud, then it's – that's the theater's fault if it right. blows the speaker. But it, it's loud – It. It, it takes advantage of a, a large range of, of volumes. <laughs> I certainly agree right, with you. Right. And the, loud, the, the larger end of that volume is extreme. Uh, and I, I don't mind that. I loved that. And as someone who didn't mind at all how much music Hans Zimmer poured over Dunkirk and the, the, <laughs> the, video, the, the, the audio design of that, including the, the loudness of it. It uh, doesn't ape Blade Runner's score either. It kind of is its own thing. Well, I know there was – there, there was a kind of a, a Zimmer Blair thing here that got really loud that I really liked. Um, yeah. I, I'm a sucker for that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I loved the loudness of it. I loved That's that. That's why I don't get why. I really liked it, too. Go ahead, Kelly. Just why more people wouldn't want that experience. Like why it's not making 
$500 million. Like, because you going to, go to the IMAX theater is, is arduous for a lot of people <laughs> in, a, in a lot of different ways. It's difficult for people to go to a theater. Well, I'll also uh, say this. I, you know, I, d- I really think the problem is there's, there's, not, there's no Blade Runner nostalgia. It's guys our age who would love to see a, a sequel and probably have some skepticism we, about it. We were but, due. Pardon? We were due. Right, we, we were due. It, it, the movie's for us. I mean, because here's the thing. Here's my observation about it. I think it's an art house movie. This is yeah. a big budget science yeah, fiction art house movie, which is why just it reminds like me. Well, just like which is why it reminds me of Under the Skin. That's a uh, great. I, I'm so glad you mentioned Under the Skin. Go ahead. Because it really, I, I get the sense that this is a visionary director doing just visionary stuff, and he's marshalling talent not to make a blockbuster. It's been, right. It had a huge budget, but to make an art house movie. Uh, and I love that uh, – I guess it was Columbia and Warner Brothers. I love that they let him do that, that yeah. he has earned his commercial and critical chops with stuff like you know, Arrival. And uh, this guy's made successful movies where I'm sure the studios let him do what he wanted. They weren't inundating him with the kind of notes. notes. Exactly. Yeah. This isn't like getting uh, less – visionary directors to do your sequel so the producers can tell them what to do. This isn't a Marvel or a Disney thing. Yeah, or a Star Wars thing. This, this he is, should make more science fiction movies. He's going to make Dune, apparently. I, you know, I don't care what he does, I, and I want to yeah. see it. I mean, I mean, not that I don't mean it that way. It's awesome if he makes Dune, but uh, even things I don't like, like Arrival, I, I, I want to see what he does and how he does them. Uh, so, so Kelly, I think more about Enemy than I think about Arrival. I don't know why, but I think it might be because of the photography. The, the photography certainly it, uh, it. Enemy has this weird malice to it, and this mm-hmm. sort of o- ominousness to it that. Uh, yeah. Because this movie is a very, uh, it, it's it's very tonal. Like there's a definite weird, languid, laid back tone to it. Um, that I think is going to be weird. Like I, that's why I'm a little surprised that it did well with its cinema score. Is I can see people going to see this, imagining they're going to get a science fiction thriller, and three hours later, two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Kelly Wan. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> why is he in the that. wormhole forever? <laughs> like this is the sort of thing that Kubrick would have so been doing. Slow, right? Stop, yeah, long stop quoting me. Stop quoting uh, me, Kelly. That's not fair. Oh, can we talk? Let me. Can we just go back to the score just for a minute? Because Aaron Kane, Aaron Kane wrote in. He's another of our listeners. He didn't want to give us his opinions. He just wanted to make sure we hit certain points. Um, and he just gave us basically a list of I hope you hit these points. And score was one of them. And mm-hmm. Kelly Wan said something that set me off a little bit. He says, uh, Kelly said that he that Hans Zimmer isn't aping the Vangelis score from the first movie. Um, and I would, uh, I would disagree, except that I wouldn't, I would, he's not aping, but he is using it. Uh, and Hans Zimmer can ape things if he wants, but he feathers in elements and themes from that original score beautifully. And this is one of this, I think this is going to be one of my favorite Hans Zimmer scores. And I really liked the Dunkirk score. I just thought it was overused at certain points and I wanted it to be turned off at certain points. But in this, I think that he feathers in some of those themes from the original Blade Runner score brilliantly. Uh, and, and, it, and it made a huge emotional impact for me, especially at the end. Um, and I think the music 
at the end, and this was something that Chris Markinson said, he asked me if I got misty at the end. Of course I got misty in the end because I'm total easy cry. I'm an easy laugh, but more than easy laugh, I'm an easy cry. Uh, when Ryan Gosling is down on those steps and that and that theme from Blade Runner is, is being woven in there, uh, I thought Hans Zimmer did a great job, not of aping Kelly, but of 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 working in the themes from the original Blade Runner score. Did you guys like the score? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But you you did, I mean, did you hear the stuff from the earlier movie being put into this? Sure. Yeah, Yeah. it's very clear. I just thought it is an Imperial March kind of thing. Like, it just felt brooding more. Uh, What what other points did Aaron Kane want us to hit? Uh, He wants to know where this stands as far as sequel status is concerned. Mm-hmm. So then, let's yeah. talk about so as uh, as a sequel. So as a sequel to Blade Runner, and this this guy Hampton Fancher, who doesn't have a background writing a bunch of screenplays in the last thirty years. Uh, how do, yeah? How does from a, a story and script perspective? How do you guys think this fits in? You know what? Just overall, how does this fit in as a sequel for you guys? There were previews for Star Wars Episode Eight and Thor Ragnarok, and I didn't see a single trailer that excited me as much as the movie I was there to see. Like, I was very intrigued. I was very excited that it was a Blade Runner sequel, and I was mm-hmm. really hoping it wouldn't suck. And so, I first off, we all we un- yeah we all like Blade Runner. I think we all understand, right? Like, I've in in discussing one of my pet peeves about. Uh, people calling a movie subtle versus ambiguous. I think there's a difference there. And my example, everybody knows what ambiguous can be, but my example of subtle is Blade Runner and the fact that Harrison Ford is a replicant, that his character is a replicant. There's no ambiguity there. There's instead subtlety. So I think we all come from a place where the original Blade Runner, where we know that Harrison Ford is a replicant, right? Nope. It could be either one in this. And, and that's that's Aaron Kane's fifth point, and he and he says, in fact, uh, I'm scared to ask since Tom and I have pretty different beliefs about this. Ford Wait, and Scott. Aaron Kane thinks that he's not a replicant. Harrison Ford does it either. Harrison Ford's an actor; he doesn't know anything. Don't a- know. never never ask the actor, Kelly Wand. That's um, right. Richard Dreyfus thinks that the the shark is named Jaws. <laughs> uh, no, so well, there are cut. I mean, the the, the theatrical release of, of Blade Runner. I don't even think it's ambiguous. I don't even think it's in there. Like, if you wanted to infer it from subtext, sure, you could. But right. the movie that, that Ridley Scott made and eventually pieced back together, there's no ambiguity whatsoever, period. Right. There is instead subtlety. Nobody ever comes around with a diagram. Nobody ever points at him and says, you're a skin job, you're a replicant. Instead, there's subtlety. You have to figure this out from watching the movie. But it's not the least bit ambiguous. Uh and and this is clearly a sequel to that, right? Yeah. Well, Does Gosling die at the end of this? Well, well that thought. I mean, well, I, well, Aaron, Aaron's question is that saying is he has he made a replicant that that then ages? Right. That's the question. Because now, if they can give birth, yeah, it's not that big a leap. Well, right. But why yeah, would they make him? To do this, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I did. I did not. I was not aware that replicants didn't age. I guess. Okay. Is that a thing? Like, are we supposed to look at Harrison Ford being older well, and think that 
He's not a well, replicant. It, it was impossible to tell from the first movie because they only live for four years. Right. And you're not going to oh, see. Oh yeah, it, and there's nothing like that. I mean, they're they're made out of biology. Rachel. Why wouldn't they age? They're just made out of biological components. There's right. no reason they wouldn't right. age. So yeah, of course they're they super age. strong. Yeah. So, so he's they a, have a better immune system. Oh well, sure, but they, there's nothing. Okay, I, I I thought that I overlooked something where because he was aging, the implication in this movie was he's not a replicant. But the movie clearly it's unclear. No, clear because the movie is about two replicants that give birth. That, that have a child together. That's, the, that's what's mentioned several times in the movie. Oh. Harrison, I don't know if you saw Harrison Ford and Sean Young have sex and have a baby. Whoa. They're both replicants. That's the crux of the plot. He here. stated as a replicant repeatedly in player 2049. What? That's what you're saying. Yeah. Harrison yeah, no, Ford's it, replicant status or she's the miracle. She, and well, anyone could have inseminated her. The greater miracle, wouldn't that be to have a human be able to have a baby? Inseminate a replicant. replicant? Yeah. I, you guys are, no, no. Here, okay, I'm going to have yeah. to see this again. I don't think there's any, the, the movie clearly is saying that Harrison Ford is a replicant. How can he live out in this dirty bum? You guys he don't says, know. He says, does it matter? I've got to look. ambiguous. He says it about the dog. He even says about no, the dog, know, why don't but, you ask yeah, him? Yeah, but he's saying it about himself. He's, right. That's that's an answer to this this question, and that's why I think Aaron Kane puts that quote at the end of his email. He's he's saying that about this question. Ask him. Ask him. He's saying that this 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 question doesn't have any meaning to him. Like when when he when he asks whether the dog is real or not, ask him. What's the dog going to tell you? It's chemicals. Well, the dog and is chemicals. real. I mean, the dog is real. The dog is alive. It is. Uh, I think. Well, the well, bees the, are alive. Every, isn't the, well, isn't the, the replicants point that, are alive? That's one of the points of the movie. Is that these are these are living beings that are is the dog artificial? No, right. Creating but, a revolution. I right, mean, but he looks alive. doesn't. Oh, so the bees aren't real. Well, the bees are real. They're not they're artificial this? bees. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm in Amsterdam. Why are you not? I, I thought – well, he looks at the bees and he says there's life in there, and I guess that's supposed to mean there's something living in there in the wake of a dirty bomb, not – there are things in there that aren't replicants. Okay. Uh, okay. That's an interesting uh, – replicants are still alive, but it's right. the difference right. of – I mean we're, we're talking about the difference between fake and real, um, and right. this is particularly – Man-made or man-made. Particularly pertinent right now in modern political society, what's the difference between fake and real? But uh, whether or not a, a replicant is alive or not, um, I don't think is up for debate because of e- even the birth sequence where Jared Leto like, lets the, uh, the replicant be birthed, drop down, then has to do the um, ultrasound, I guess, then it, why he can't tell that before she drops down onto the pad is beyond me. Uh, and then he, he kills, he, he stops her life. I mean, she's alive. She, it, it, the replicants have life. Right. It's nobody, just whether oh, or not right. they're human or not. It's, yeah, it's and, and, more, more human than human. It's not life or not life. Yeah, nobody's saying they're not alive, but also okay, not so up for that, debate. Also not up for debate. Harrison Ford is a replicant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna, you know, when I see this movie a second time, I'm gonna, because I, I would, I thought the movie was pretty clear about saying two replicants had a baby. That's what happened here. Uh, ergo, Harrison Ford is a replicant. This can't be. This movie's not pussyfooting around with what it's a sequel to. 
Is it? Yeah, an ambiguous movie in which sometimes Harrison Ford's a replicate, sometimes right. he's not. Blade Runner, did you just call Blade <laughs> Runner ambiguous? <laughs> well, it depends on which cut you see, and that's the thing. It's not ambiguous. Well, no, it's not. It's not. Because right. in the, the, the theatrical cut, there's but, no evidence. There's no reason to think he's a, he's a replicant. Did you know that the first scene right. with the pot is from the first Blade Runner, and it was going to be his original... Harrison Ford's original entrance in the first Blade Runner was what the Bautista scene was. Huh, how about and that? And then they changed it to him eating food. Uh, what so else did uh, did Aaron Kane want us to cover, Dingus? Now that we've covered that Harrison Ford, definitely a replicant. Uh, where's his serial <laughs> number? Where's his DNA? Uh, he brings up uh, he brings up something that I was, I've been dying to talk about, uh, and that's the production design. Um, and he says, do you think that the uh, production design does justice to the profound influence of Sid Mead in the original Blade Runner? It's a little bummed that he only got a thanks uh, yeah. in the credits. Um, but yeah, I, lo- I love how they played up on the spinner and you had different models of the spinner. Uh, <clears throat> certainly how it played with different elements of, of Los Angeles and outside Los Angeles and the San Diego uh, dump and certainly Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, absolutely, it did honor. It. Wasn't it weird to see Las Vegas right now? It was weird for me. <laughs> no, yeah, it was weird it for was. me. Really? When I, I didn't know we were going to Las Vegas, and because of what just happened, it was weird I mean, for me to realize. Showed, if it had showed the Mandalay or something, but it wasn't, well, you know, Vegas. It was just it weird, was weird to, to, to see the World Trade Center and AI after 9 11, and then I saw AI like a few weeks after. 9-11 happened. World Trade Center's in the ice at the end of AI. That was weird. <laughs> but That's weirder than that, it said. Huh? Even before that, in the whole San Diego sequence, in all of that stuff with the furnaces, I, I think the production design in this is amazing. It's, it's yeah. a guy named Den, Den, Dennis Glasner. I'm, I'm sorry, Dennis Gasner. Um, and those huge uh, human figures in Vegas, the way Vegas was constructed, not as a place that was Las Vegas. We've just covered it in sand, but it's the same Vegas we all know. It was totally other. Um, and the, but there were elements of the weird pyramid structure that we saw in the Los Angeles 2019 version of this movie. Um, I thought that was a Luxor. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it was, but it was kind of, it was kind of, I think, paying a little bit of paying a little bit of a, an homage to the way that the Terrell Corporation looked and that the way that that pyramid looked with the things that the the weird uh, cantilevered uh, structures that go around the pyramid at the Terrell Corporation. Um, I love the way Las Vegas looked. I love those huge figures uh, outside of Vegas. And as we went into Vegas and as we looked at the map going to Vegas, I was like, oh, no, are we going to Vegas, really? But the way they structured it, um, in the internal production design, I thought was freaking amazing. Well, the and hotel, I, I, the, the hotel scenes reminded me a bit of The Shining, just for yeah. that that eerie opulence and that empty opulence and how eerie that was. Places that shouldn't and, be empty, and especially how it folded in the the technological elements of the, that holographic show with Elvis and Marilyn Monroe, yeah. and uh, it kept breaking. Yeah, did, did you guys it. see uh, see? Uh, is it? Passengers, that silly thing with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, I wanted to murder it. Yeah, but they, they, it seemed like they were also trying to invoke The Shining at times. Uh, very unsuccessfully, I thought. <laughs> well, with well the, they were the, trying to evoke a lot of things. 
I couldn't help but think of The Shining because of the way that bar looked and because I kept thinking of Terrell, that actor was the bartender. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very good, Dingus. Yeah. And I'm, I, I can't remember his name off the top Wait, of my no. head. Wait, no. Wasn't he? Isn't he the bartender? I'm mistaking him. Well, there, I Lloyd. think. Who's the guy who murdered his children? That's Brady. not the bartender. Okay. Brady. Yeah. No, you're right. No, you're right, Dingus. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. I'm thinking about the guy who. Uh, you know, I corrected bar- her, too. It's the bathroom attendant who murdered his children. Yeah, but what? Yeah, you're definitely right about Terrell being in that. And I can't that's remember his, that actor's name. That's and I feel his promotion like for, for killing his daughters um, for The Shining is he gets to be the bathroom attendant. But the, that, that bar, and you're right, Tom, that bar really totally reminded me of The Shining. And it's a great opportunity to play with that kind of production design, too. It didn't, you know, they're in Vegas. It's what an abandoned hotel in Vegas would look like. Uh, it didn't seem gratuitous at all. I loved that about and it. It's silent. And I loved how bored Harrison Ford sounded, but in a good way for once, when he said, uh, you know, that he had like millions of bottles of whiskey, you know, <laughs> millions, he had millions of bottles. Uh, I guess I that would make him truculent. <laughs> so, so getting back to then how we thought about this as a sequel, uh, as far as what Blade Runner is about oh, as a story and what this is about as a story. Uh, how did you guys feel about this as a sequel in that regard? Uh, I love what you said earlier, how it subverts expectations. Um, because it does play on what we remember happening about the player movie and things we're expecting to happen. And the whole idea that got, that Gosling is just a huge red herring is a great reveal. Um, it's a little weird when it happens because you're like, wait, so now why is it about him? But it is about him doing what he's supposed to do. Uh, I really liked him in this way. I really like Gosling's coldness in it. So does it have anything to do with Blade Runner? So Dingus, you were bringing this up before about, no, we all agree, yes, replicants are alive. But the question is, what's the difference between real and fake? Are they human uh, <clears throat> as a sequel? And that, that's clearly this idea in Blade Runner, is what does it mean to be human? What, what does your identity consist of? You know, what does your memory consist of? Uh, what's real? Uh, as a sequel to those themes, Dingus, how did you feel about this story? Um, I really loved it, mainly from the point of view that this is where I really wanted the sequel to go way back when I first saw Blade Runner. I wanted Rachel to get pregnant and have a baby, and people all looked at me like, you're stupid. I, I loved the I loved that idea. Um, I, I loved that idea. And since when we had to watch um, some, uh, I think uh, we had to watch, we had to watch some anime. Oh, we got the ghost in the shell and I watched a bunch of anime. There's something called Armitage where the, the robot, it turns out the robots can get pregnant. Um, that has that same idea. And I, I, I really love that the movie went in this direction. Um, it gives Blade Runner a happier ending, doesn't it, in a way? It, yeah. It, well, it does, but it's bittersweet. It, it, then it breaks your heart as you get to Harrison Ford and you find out the sacrifices he's had to make, uh, which I also and, love. I mean, I, I love watching Deckard having, having sacrificed all that he sacrificed and the way he explains that. I got a little nervous in that scene where he's talking about let me explain to you what happened in the last movie because I thought we were going down a Prometheus path 
where you're going to explain to me a bunch of things I don't want to know. <laughs> you're going to give me a bunch of explanations right. <laughs> that I don't need because I already love that movie over there. Alien is fine. You don't need to explain to me how that happened. Uh, but this movie doesn't do that. It's very careful about that. This is something that Arthur Jovangeli says as well, that that Villeneuve is not interested in mimicking Scott's filmmaking. He's interested in making his own movie. And as you said earlier, Tom, he's able to do that. He's been given the freedom to do that because he's proven that he knows what the hell he's doing. So this idea of identity as far as what's real and what's not real and my joke about like tears in snow. Um, I think that this movie has a different view of how um, memory works kind of based on what uh, um, all of a sudden, I don't know, this is something that Aaron Kane wanted us to talk about as well. Carly Yuri's character is talking about that putting real memories in is now illegal. Uh, that, that the way memory works in this movie and the way memory works in the last movie is different. And the way the production design works in this movie is, I think, a little closer to how the the book works than in the previous movie. It's it's a lot more crowded a movie. It's a lot more desolate. Uh, the In the first movie, you know, J.F. has his whole building to himself, where as in the book, I think everything's super crowded, like when um, – K goes up to his apartment and everybody's standing in the hall around him. It's super crowded. I, I like the way that this movie has carried forth the timeline that might naturally proceed. And I think it, yeah. it makes, it makes that it makes it a better adaptation. If you conclude both movies within the adaptation. And that's why I love, that's one of the reasons why I love this movie so much. Cause I think it, kind of caps off that world in a lovely way. So Arthur, when he says that uh, Villeneuve is not mimicking Ridley Scott, uh, I agree, and that's an important observation. But I think the more trenchant observation about someone not mimicking someone, uh, Hampton Fancher's not just mimicking his previous script. This is uh. not a Blade Runner 1.1. 1. 1. Uh, and I hope my voice holds out. I want to talk through some of this. Uh, the, the original Blade Runner, it's a product of the 80s. And it's very much this solipsistic, uh, am I real? You know, do I exist? Because I remember things, did they actually happen? It's about me. It's about my identity. You know, where do I fit in the universe? How much do I matter? As much as I think. Um, and, and, and Blade Runner is very much about that. And it's got this sort of philosophical that's what the science fiction brings to this noir story is this philosophical philosophical solipsism about the nature of me and my identity uh and that was the 80s now here we are 30 years later and the story that hampton fancher is telling using those same thoughts those same considerations those same kind of story beats the point at which he arrives here is that you are not the point. You, you are not the center of the plot. Uh, you are not the, – the point here, and I think this is even said it a couple of times, is that it's noble to dedicate yourself to an important cause. And I don't even remember. Is the word sacrifice used? It's noble to sacrifice yourself. I think it's just to dedicate yourself to an important cause. So – what this story does and how it's very distinct from the previous Blade Runner is 
the detective finds out not necessarily about himself. He finds out that he doesn't matter, that there are other things that matter more, and that the best thing he can do with his life is to help it further the things that matter more. Is it's mm. not just about you. Don't be so preoccupied with your identity. You know, don't get carried away wishing that you're special. Help people. You know, help other people. Dedicate yourself to a noble cause. Uh, and so we're, we're thinking, yeah, it's going to be about Ryan Gosling. The twist is he's not a replicant. He's real, but it's his identity. The twist is, is that that's not even the point of the movie. Uh, and that's twist, what true empathy is. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly, Kelly Wand. Uh, is, that, is that empathy and that feeling is not fussing about your identity. It's dedicating yourself to this other noble cause. So as a sequel, I really love that Hampton Fancher didn't just tell that story over again. He used those elements to tell a different story with a different point. And I think a point that's, that's incredibly trenchant today. Right. He's asking the hero to say, uh, imagine, or to t he's telling the hero, imagine you're not the hero of this story. Yeah. Now, and a big, a big part of how he does that is with joy. Because when he sees the wife later... And she calls him Joe. That's like that's his moment. Like, yeah. Well, exactly that 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 too. That's that's very subversive. Is mm -hmm. that the love you had is not real? And compare this to her, by the way. The love that you had mm -hmm. is not real. It is a product. You were right. sold a product. You are a and consumer. It yeah, you, it it made you happy. It gave you what you wanted. Right. You got to see and hear what you wanted to see and hear, just like the product advertised it would do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I love how subversive that is as well. Is because also, uh, and Dingus, I don't, you weren't being trolled when you were told to see Knock Knock because the the actress who plays uh, uh, Joy, who plays the 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 uh, emulator, uh, not emulator. What's it called? Enabler, em actor. Em emanator. Uh, her emanator, name is right. Joy. It's Anna D. Armis. Anna D. Armis is one of the lead actresses in Knock Knock, which is oh. uh, one of the rare non-terrible Eli Roth movies, uh, and she is a big part of what makes Knock Knock work. Hmm. Uh, and I'm so glad I did not recognize her until the credits rolled, and I was trying to think, where have I seen her before? Uh, and I realized her name... Until I saw her name, but she plays a very different kind of character in Knock Knock. But she's really good in this. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know that until I looked up her credits today. I thought Chris Webb was just messing with me. And by the way, Chris Webb liked this but didn't love it. Yeah, so uh, she, she, yeah, she, and she's a big part of what makes it work because you think it's going to be a movie too about how yeah, she's real and she really does love him right. and she's going she's to his Sean Young. Yeah, exactly. She says Sean Young, and she's going to enable him to feel emotion and empathy. And when he finally breaks out and has these human emotions and feelings, she is going to spark them, uh, much like the music does in Equilibrium or the Puppy or whatever it is that, or, or is it Emily Watson? Whatever snaps Christian Slater or Christian Bale out of his his state in Equilibrium, she's going to be that to Kay. And she doesn't. She doesn't do that. Uh, right. no. I love how subversive that is. And, and that actress is so good at making you think that's what this part is going to do. That's the role that she's been cast to play. And um, we're fine when she gets stepped on, even. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Before she gets to yeah. – she's cut yeah. off saying, I love you. And wait a minute. Yeah. That's going to be an yeah. important point, and he needs to learn that and realize that, and that will actualize his character development. But no, it's all a red herring, as you said. And that's you. what death looks like for her. It's just this getting stepped on, and you're – 
he's black flash. Well, she's not even dead. She's she's in the the ad, you know, and she finds right. and this idea too that she gives him a it's name. Not her, though. Yeah, she gives him a name. The name is what she gives everyone. Right. Joe, like mm-hmm. that's that's such a great yeah. reveal. She's Portman. Right there, you go. Yeah. Well, I loved it when I think it's um, Mariette uh, when she first hears that little sound from his pocket. She goes, "Oh, you don't like real girls." Right, right. <laughs> and yeah. I, and that's when I first started thinking, "Oh, that's that's the sound of his." lover in his pocket basically um that was just such an amazing moment for me when that that real woman because i wasn't quite sure whether those hookers were supposed to be pleasure models or whether they were real or what was going on with that when she goes oh you don't like real girls because she just hears that sound i mean that's that real clue that oh this is a product even more so than when um Love has said, I hope you like our product or whatever she says. Well, even hope you're when satisfied. It, even when she's introduced, there's that great little bit that reminded me of uh, of uh, Bubbles in Valerian, uh, yeah. where, where she's doing the little costume changes and, and he comes in like yeah. it's clear. Yeah. And you're, you're thinking, by the way, that there's this disembodied voice. You're thinking, okay, there's going to be some sort of a reveal here. Uh, there's not a real woman in the apartment. Uh so, yeah, I, I, when they introduce her, it's obviously like she's a Siri kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And I loved that. I, I loved yeah. how they played with that. Still but I just, I just loved <laughs> I just I mean, loved the little noise that would pop out every now and then. And, and somebody would just give a look. And like you, Tom, I wish I could have seen this again. It's just hard to go to see this movie again a second time when you have – because it's so long. And I don't, I'm not complaining about the length. It's just hard to fix it in. No, so I, how about – I kind of wanted to go with you when you saw it today, but uh, but I couldn't work it out. Well, it's definitely worth seeing an IMAX, I would say. Uh, so how about that sex scene? What do we think of that? I liked it. <laughs> Although it seems more annoying than just not doing it that way. What, what do you mean? What? Well, if you're going to do a threesome, <laughs> it seems like a waste. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, fucking the fly in Goldblum. What? Like when he's turning into the fly. Well, yeah, like but he's, he's got an incredible amount of stamina. That's one of the great things about it. That's true. But then he throws up on you. <clears throat> but the thing is, it's not a threesome. It's it's a, it, it's very much a twosome with a sex surrogate. <clears throat> right. Yeah. And, what and, if and, we have a listener, Arthur Givangeli, who thinks that that I think that probably might be one of the things that he liked most about the movie. He really, really liked it. But um, but he thought that that particular scene, uh, he says that um, – let me see if I can find it real quick. I think he, he just called it a revelation. But anyway, Arthur Giovangeli thought that that scene in particular was just incredibly impressive. And especially for how they didn't fully sync. Like a, right. I think a lesser director right. who just wanted to say, eh, you, you know, look how great it is. Right, right, exactly. Like, look at what technology can do. A lesser yeah. director would have just made one actress appear. But uh, Villeneuve, by refusing to let them sink 100% and by playing a lot with the special effects, uh, made it clear that this was not a normal relationship, uh, right. which, of course, we know it's not. But he wouldn't let us let go of, of – the. he wouldn't let us have that illusion. Right. Uh, and wasn't that weird 
to feel like i mean how did you feel watching that did you want them to meld i mean how did you feel well actually what i wanted was the sex scene to actually go on longer i normally yeah. am okay yeah. with a sex scene cutting whenever because it it can take you out of a movie it, it uh, like explicit sex is a, a very is it good or thing. not we can't tell <laughs> well i'm i the the little morning after bit that they had was a little you know with uh, what's her name mckenzie Phillips. Is that really her name? No. Oh. no I get her name mixed up Mackenzie with Davis. Mackenzie Davis, right? Because we know her from, from The Martian. She had a she had a great she looks little like part. Phillips girl. She had a great little part in The Martian. Uh, we like that actress. Right, uh, yeah. But there was the 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 morning after scene where things were a little awkward. Uh, in a way, even between the two girls, which was cute. Uh, but but I was going to say I would have liked to have seen more of the sex scene because I would I, I loved that effect and I would have liked to have seen it done with more of the sexuality uh, right. of the women's bodies. Right. Because it was really frustrating but in a really good way. Because it nothing alike. Because it's a real you're kind of used to what you were saying, Tom, like a, a, hack, a more hacky director would have just snapped them together and then given us a a really beautiful naked woman to for him to have sex with that was his fantasy but instead it was just it was always it wasn't even uncanny valley it wasn't even close to that it was like you know just uncanny gully it was just like close but not close enough and always sort of phasing out and Geneva never lets us relax into the scene he never lets that happen and i and i Looking back, I really appreciated that. And and now that I look at Arthur's email, what he says is that this is one of those rare moments when just every aspect of a movie is working together perfectly. Moments like that are a joy to behold. And so he just he was just gaga over that. Get it? Yeah, joy. How do we feel about Ryan Gosling? He's dreamy. <laughs> I I, like I really I like loved him. The you know, I saw it with my girlfriend, and she did not like him at all in this because she's like, he does a couple things great. He smiles really well, and he plays piano really well in La La Land, and he didn't get to smile at all in this until the end. Um, and I and I said, uh, and I asked her if she'd seen the movie Drive, uh, which she has not. Um, hmm. And one of our listeners said that this. I can't remember which listener, sorry. We had a bunch of people write in. So this was kind of like the sequel to his character from Drive, um, which I kind of like. Oh, it was Shaheen Ali. Uh, uh, I really liked him in this a lot. I thought he was really, I thought he was just absolutely spot on. Uh, it's one of those things where it, it's it, you're playing a robot. So are you doing right. bad acting or are you being a robot? And right. And I think he's just being true to the fact that he's a replicant throughout, and he's not yeah. going to have this magical change where he stops being a replicant and starts acting more human. Uh, he, you know, there, there's that. I was a little puzzled by a couple of things in in the movie, and I, I wonder how much of it is because of where I am in the movie in terms of what I know. But when Robin Wright, after he fails that baseline test, and by the way. <laughs> That was a fascinating bit of filmmaking, and it reminded me of it reminded me of that that conditioning stuff in The Master with Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. and, and, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, yeah. I just loved how weird and offbeat it was, and how there's some kind of rhythm going on there we didn't understand. Yeah, okay. uh, 
Yeah, I loved that. Also, as a counterpart to that Voight-Kampf test. Um, mm-hmm. So I loved that. But um, I was a little unclear on Robin Wright basically saying, uh, okay, your baseline was really off. Give me your badge and your gun and go home. Uh, like, why didn't he get, a, like, not retired, but, but, like, it seemed like he was breaking. And if a replicant right. does that, you know the next thing they're going to do is start murdering people on the streets. She's suspicious. So shouldn't we be worried about that? Um, but I, I think what what this is – these replicants don't – like, that's not an issue with them. And Ryan Gosling's character, Kay, is not going to magically become Joe. Uh, and, and that's what he's doing in his performance, I think, is he's just playing a flat robot the whole time who's not going to break. Um, he, he's, you know, he's, he's a, he's a bishop, not an ash. <laughs> right. right. Well, what I wondered is in those baseline tests and in those scenes with her in particular, the scene that you're talking about, Tom, how much of that is, is him exerting control? Cause one of the fears about the Nexus six is, or as one of the, one of the reasons they put the termination dates for the Nexus six uh, replicants was because scientists figured out that they would develop their own emotional responses over time. So how much of him doing that baseline test is him having to concentrate and how much is of it is just supposed to be his programming shining through? And what's the difference between those two things? Well, I, doesn't the title card make it clear that replicants are they're fail, that they don't break anymore, that all that's taken care of? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Thanks to Jared Leto. And that's the thing, is then this movie would have had to break its world building if we were going to have a, a replicant magically like fall in love and, and empathize and not do his duty. Uh, and that, that's another subversive thing here, is that those things don't happen to him. He, he doesn't break. He doesn't, his conditioning doesn't fall apart. There's nothing – there's no like life finds a way flaw that uh, you know, he doesn't ex machina like Alicia Vikander. But he starts to believe he's special. I mean, that's it's one of wife. the things that that's one of the things that she says to him is sure, that you're, right. you were yeah. born. And, well, they and, all they all do that, and that's what the the mysterious rebel leader lady says: is we all right. wish we were special. Uh, like that that's not necessarily a flaw. That's just something that can happen, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and it it shouldn't necessarily compromise what he's conditioned to do. Uh, so so that's what I was thinking is. I was expecting we're going to get a movie about how this one replicant magically breaks down, and instead of and, and because he's a special born child who is unlike the other replicants, he's exceptional. We're not watching that movie. Um, you know, we're not watching a movie where a replicant who goes off of its baseline is going to murder someone. You can then take its badge and gun and tell it to go home for forty-eight hours, and it's going to be okay. But he's going but to McKenzie sacrifice Phillips himself. He's going to sacrifice himself because because of that. One of the, I mean, one of the key moments for me is that scene with, um, um, oh God, what's her name, Carla Yuri, uh, where she says we recall with our feelings, and she explains to him the difference between, uh, you know, other designers who just detail memories, and me as a designer, I, I, don't worry about the details because if the memories of perfect details they fall apart we recall with our with our feelings mm-hmm. and that uh, it upsets him when he finds out that this is that this is real it upsets him when he finds out and the and even um love is is 
is crying at very part various parts of this movie and and then he um Kay, Joe, Kay, uh sac- basically sacrifices himself to make sure that um the father can meet his daughter. Right. I'm not saying they don't feel and I'm not saying they don't have a capacity for empathy. Uh I'm just saying this is not a movie I, I was just wondering about when he failed that baseline, shouldn't that have been a big warning sign? Why does oh. Robin Wright let him go at that point? Um, and yeah, well, he definitely feels and, – and you know, I, I love the parts where uh, where replicants are watching. Like I love the part where Sylvia Hoax's replicant uh, seems to react emotionally to things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just as they're definitely alive, they certainly have feelings. They certainly have emotions. They can certainly have empathy. Uh, and we find out they can certainly sacrifice themselves. Uh, well, I guess if you suppose that in the first Blade Runner, um, Deckard is a replicant, uh, M.M. Walsh letting him quit the police force and go off is similar to what she's doing because he's that valuable. He's that good. And it, eventually I'm going to need him again. So let him go off. I know he's not going to become a murderer. But let him go off, and eventually I'll be able to recall him. Right. Uh, it's kind of similar to that. But that's before the that would have been before the events of the original Blade Runner. But and all of that gets to why I really liked Ryan Gosling in this. You know, he's playing in yeah. a, a, a robot. Uh, he's consistent with it. I can see somebody watching this and thinking that guy's not a very good actor. But I think it's an example of he's playing something that's not super so reactive. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have uh, one more listener I haven't mentioned yet. His name is Tony Carnavale. Uh He describes Harrison Ford as the definition of watchable. Hmm. Um, and he also says, I love this. I kind of love this quote, but uh, I totally disagree with Tony. Tony didn't really care for this. He didn't care for the original either. He tried to watch both. And what he said was, I want to love both movies. But the Blade Runner series is as empty as a replicant. Well, I agree with that because replicants aren't empty. Yeah. But we also know the one line um, review that Tony has given for Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, or more to the point, we know he's got weird movie taste. He doesn't like gravity. He doesn't like Guardians of the Galaxy. What uh, does he like? He, What's mm, his zone? Weird art house movies. No. He probably loved Mistress America. Uh. <laughs> I'm just griefing him. He didn't. Uh, he does like he did. He's a friend of mine who told me uh, you're gonna love. Uh, uh, Spanglish. Says you're gonna Francis Ha is gonna be your favorite movie of that year. And he said it before oh, I yeah. saw it. And I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. You didn't even like Gravity. Uh, but he was right, right. about that. Yeah. No, he's just got he's got weird taste. I'm not surprised he doesn't like this. Right. But he knows your taste. But being empty as a replicant. Jokes on you, Tony Carnavale. Unless it's a compliment and he is a replicant. I'm still wondering about that dog being real. Does it matter? Oh, does he die at the end? There we go. That was raised before. Does that the was dog a die at the end? Oh. No, do, well, dogs never die, Kelly Wand. Uh, oh, does just, uh, Brian Gosling die at the end? Yeah, what did I we see at the end there? he opened his coat and he wasn't wounded. That's what I remember. No, he was wounded. I thought, he, I thought it was clear. Kelly, when, when, you have, when you have covered with blood. Yeah, when you have red, wet stuff all over your clothes, that means you're wounded. And that's movie talk for you're wearing wounded. a red coat. <laughs> no, I like think a it's British clear soldier. I think it's clear that he's dying there. It's always the same spot, though. That's his trouble spot. 
Uh, did you guys like Carla Yuri? Oh yeah, yeah. I love I lo- I loved not uh, having a bunch of super famous actors in this. I loved yeah. that I didn't recognize uh, Anna Deramis. Uh, I I don't know Sylvia Hooks from anything. She's phenomenal. Like, God, I loved her in this. She was she was more the villain than than Jared Leto. Yeah. Um, yeah. Carla Yuri. I have no idea where she came from. Her couple of scenes were great. Uh, I love that we got. <clears throat> oh God, I'm losing my voice. That uh, Thomas Mark. Quan, what is that guy's name? The guy that plays the file clerk, who's bald, who's got the really weird face. Oh, the, the guy eyes. who played Caliban in the X Men movie. Exactly, I love that guy. I was so happy to see Barkhad Abdi given in uh, <laughs> His name is Thomas Le Marquis, I think. Right, you gotta say it French like that. Yeah, uh, and the guy from Captain Phillips, that poor Somalian guy yeah. who hasn't gotten any good I'm roles. I'm the captain now. It's super great to see him doing a fun little part. Um, I just loved seeing Dave Batista. I love yeah. that guy. And yeah. this is something that Drew Andrew Neller said as well that he wanted more time for Batista. I I was so surprised to see him show up. And this is why this is why people listeners of listeners of Earth why I don't pay attention to any anything uh, other than posters I have to accidentally look at. It was such a joy to see David Batista show up and. And really do I think I thought he was great. I thought he was great in that scene. He sets was, this he sets this really uh, intriguing tone. Yeah. As far as being a huge, scary looking guy, but he's so like soft spoken in that scene. And when he puts on those little tiny glasses, uh, yeah. and and just he's kind of resigned. Like like remember how freaky Leon is in the original Blade Runner. He's and that sets the stage for what to expect from replicants, like how weird they are and how powerful they can be. Uh, the way that Dave Batista sets the stage for replicants here, uh, I really liked it. I mean, they're just—he's so likable. Uh, I love that contrast too, Tom. Because if you watch, and I watched both the um, the director's the director's cut, whatever it is, and the theatrical cut of Blade Runner's Blade Runner this week, the original one, um, and I thought I missed the voiceover. I've come to romanticize it in my mind. Uh, I don't romanticize it anymore. It really feels like, hey, I read Philip Marlowe once. Now I'm going to write something. Um, it's a little embarrassing to listen to, even though I like the whole, you know, what have you. I, I like the way he does it. I just – it's a little embarrassing. But, but Leon, Leon has some uh, lines in the, in the scene where he fights Harrison Ford that are just so goofy. That whole – like the, the, the line deliveries are so silly. You know, time, it, it's hard to have an itch you can't scratch. Or to live with an itch, you can't scratch. I mean, and he just has his eyes bugging out the whole time. And Dave Batista brings that all down to earth, and he and he gives this much more gravity. Um, and I, I just love the way he plays that. Uh, and I really, I really hope that he gets to do more stuff because that guy is that guy's great. I love I that guy. I don't think you need to worry about him. No, he's doing great, and I'm super glad to see him doing stuff like this. Oh, uh, I hope so. God, I love him. He's funnier than Pratt in the second one. He definitely laughs more. Who's your favorite lady in this movie? Who's my favorite lady in this movie? Yeah. Uh huh. Ryan Gosling. Okay. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I look forward to seeing more Sylvia Hooks stuff. She was a great uh, villain. I want to see her with uh, Ruby Rose. Um, I want to see them in like a a version of the Heat. 
like a buddy cop chick <laughs> movie. Uh-huh. Okay, one. did you have a favorite lady in this movie? Um, just the horse. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees and I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, Peter Pan, Mary, getting down with three feet, everybody loves old guns. Oh, God, this is so dumb. I don't like this one anymore. Uh, hopefully you guys have some good fun things, because I, uh... Really? All right. Well, I loved. I I had fun with this. So okay, I think good. It's a good topic. Well, I got minor obvious, but I, but I liked it. I I liked imagining this and thinking about it through the week. I think it's it's a fine topic. And you All right. you yeah, added it beforehand by saying it was going to be simple. And uh, but it, you know, this is always a mental exercise during the week, like when I'm falling asleep. Or waking up or driving or whatever, I'm like, this is running in the background. This is like compiling data or, or whatever. So this was actually kind of fun for me. I was thinking about HUDs all week. Good. I'm glad you guys are going to take up the slack on this. So Kelly Wand, your third favorite HUD. Oh, this is Heads Up Displays. Uh, I don't – do I need to – so a Heads Up Display is uh, – it's, it's symbology or, or it's information superimposed over your view. And it's called that because – they were added into airplanes so that the pilot could get information while looking out the cockpit without having to look down at instruments. It was oh. a display you could read while your head is up. Uh, hmm. So I don't want just control panels. We've already done that stuff. These are heads-up displays. Uh, if you're like looking through a scope, uh, it's, it's information superimposed over a view. Hmm. Hmm. So – Kelly Wand, third favorite heads-up display. And nobody can, is allowed to pick that Paul Newman movie or T.J. Miller in Cloverfield. Paul Newman movie? HUD. I thought there was a Paul Newman movie. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, there's a Paul Newman movie named HUD. It's the one where, uh, where Struther Martin says, we have a failure to communicate. No, it's not. Yep, Kelly. and he eats a bunch of eggs. <laughs> HUD. Starring Paul Newman. And then he plays he school for a while Harper. against Jackie yeah. Gleason. <laughs> yeah. Um, my number three favorite HUD in a movie. Uh, I was just trying to think of ones I could remember. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good first step. <laughs> and then I work, would work it down to the three. And, then, and somehow this still wound up in the last three, even though I hate it. But I thought of a rationale for it. So in Terminator Salvation, there's the iconic motorcycle chase. I'm so glad you brought this up. Kelly One, this was the inspiration for the topic. Was it? Yep. Oh. Because it seems weird I'm picking it. All right. No, I'm glad well, you did. Because you better have picked it if it was what this is inspired your favorite the topic. Spelling? Is that what, that what this is? Yeah, well, it's a homonym. Because the motorcycles are chasing the human fucktards. And, uh, is that the name of their faction in this Terminator? Yeah. <laughs> Why then, are there motorcycles in a Terminator movie, Kelly? What What are these motorcycles? They're motorcycle bots. Where did they come Transformers. from? The future. No. Close. Oh. Uh, what were they? What were they before they were motorcycles? Bicycles. Mm. Uh, maximum it, drives. And they were the Terminator's legs. There's a big old Terminator robot, uh, and his legs turn into, like, motorcycles pop out of his legs. His thighs. I haven't actually seen the whole movie. 
Oh. <laughs> it was a All PG-13 right. Terminator, and I boycotted. I was like, what? I'm not doing PG-13 Terminator. What well, what you missed is, is uh, these motorcycles pop out of a big, giant Terminator robot's legs. So there you go. All right, so explain so what's the what's the great. So it has uh, like little wheels on its legs when it's fully assembled. I, I think like it's more like a trap theater. door opens and a motorcycle comes out of it. I think it was something like that. That's dumb. That doesn't sound fun. I disapprove of this idea. <laughs> anyway, I do approve. So then to spice it up, they're not just motorcycle feet, Tom. Yeah. They're also uh, communicators. <laughs> This is so stupid. What am I talking about? So then the motorcycles, uh, the chase gets too crazy for them. You may stop me if I'm misremembering. I didn't remember they were feet. Um, but at one point, one of the motorcycles' heads is all engaged brake, and then it stops really fast. But it spells brake, B-R-E-A-K, instead of B-A-K-E. Baked. But... And at the time, I thought, oh, McGee's just an idiot. And so is every single person who saw this cut of this $100 million movie. Everyone at the studio who didn't know and notice that that's glaringly wrong. But I'm thinking McGee's a genius, a McGenius, because the reason it's misspelled is because that was a glitch put there by the human designers of Skynet. And so they're like sabotaging. They go in this case. In case Skynet goes crazy, we want to have some bugs in it, in its motorcycle feet. So if Christian Bale right. doesn't wake up from the ice soon enough, I what? figured it was a union thing that the Terminators get a break. <laughs> I like that thing. Yeah. So Kelly, I hate to tell That's you this. That's why they're stopping because it's break time. They're like, oh, break. That's Is that what they do thing. at the point they stop? Yeah. So well, here, here's what break. I here, here's what I hate to tell you. Engage and break describe the relationship of an interceptor to its target. Uh huh. You can what? engage it and you can break off. Like like if if you watch the fight scene in Top Gun, you know you engage the bandit or you can break, and that means split off from the bandit. So the cool. Yeah. So it could be like it is. It's, it has an engaged state or a break state, and and that is spelled B R E A K. Just like uh, relationships. Sure. But, exactly. Right. But it would have been cooler then, by your logic, if when it gone engaged break, and then they'd have just broken. <laughs> like it just come to the. Well, the thing I haven't seen it. Like you, I, I don't. I've seen it, but I don't remember this. So you, you might just be remember right. Remember, it was a giant. Before that, I, I don't remember the text on the screen at a certain point of the movie. I'm What's afraid. the rest of it turn into if it's feet or motorcycle? It just hangs out and is still a giant robot. Just watches the motorcycle. Or... Uh, I think so. <laughs> I think it just hangs out while they go do the chase. Yeah, it just gives. I mean, it I, I hope up. you're right. I hope that it was misspelled and nobody caught that. Um, but I would. Does be it raise a lighter like a roadie? Does the motorcycle speed <laughs> off? Why would it do that? Is that what roadies do when the when a band they're like bikers because they were bandanas, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a road, so he's a roadie. Kelly, one, you'll be glad to know there's a new McG movie coming out. I think in about a week. Uh, it's called the Babysitter. What? Yeah. Is he a crime fighter? Uh, McG? I don't. I don't know what McG is, but no, uh, the babysitter in the movie. I know McG fights crime. 
Uh, all I know is it's a it's an R-rated horror movie about a babysitter. Oh. So you're in. Like Alicia Silverstone. Exactly. All right. Dingus, third favorite HUD in a movie. You're welcome. All right, here's a bit of dialogue from it. I wanted you to know why I couldn't let you die. Why I want you. I, why I went back for you. Because you are my friend. And this is from a movie called Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you guys remember the HUD in Star Trek Into Darkness? I do or not. Star Trek Into Darkness? I, so, I do not, yeah. So there's a very important scene where James Tiberius Kirk and Wrath of Khan Khan have to fly from one ship to another. Oh, that part's good. They get ejaculated from one uh, laundry chute into another, and uh, they have to use their HUD in order to navigate through all the space debris in order to get right into that little space where Simon Pegg can help them. And I, I really like all the. I like. I like busy. I like. Sometimes I like the busy huds, and this is a very busy hud where there's all these things that we have to go around, and this is the amount of oxygen you have, and oh, your thing is cracked. Now your hud's not going to work anymore. Like oh no, hub. he's flying blind because his hud doesn't work. Ah, and they fly in through from uh, one laundry chute into another. The the new Star Trek TV series ripped that off, by the way. First episode, what? I think. Yep. She's all super clever about – yeah. No, I'm not. Shut up. <laughs> My third favorite HUD, and, and I don't – I guess I'll just pick – I'll just pick the first one because these are throughout these movies, and I partly like this HUD because of video games. Um, but I love Predator View. I love mm. how everything looks different with this like infrared thing, which I guess is kind of what's going on, uh, and the weird lettering. Uh, that the Predator looks at, and I love that sound effect when it's locking on to something, uh, and I love it in all the movies, and I particularly love it because there was a, a, there's a brilliant series of games called Alien vs. Predator where you can play the Predator, and you can use that HUD to look at stuff and toggle around, and it makes that – there's like a cool sound effect when it locks on something and another sound effect when it toggles the, the display that it's using. Uh, so I love the Predator HUD. Super into that. Um, <laughs> And I'm glad we're getting a new Predator movie. Ugh. By the way, why are you going ugh? Remember Predators? Uh, oh, what are we? Yes. I, th- this is my number two pick. Uh, oh. I would I, I would have picked um, the quote. He's using the trees uh, because I like that it grafts nicely onto the tree uh, sequences in this movie. That's a real tree that we saw this week. Um, but he's uh, using the trees. He's using the trees. He's using uh, the trees. <laughs> Wow, he's a genius. <laughs> what point does so, he say that? He's <laughs> swinging down trees. All right. Yeah, he's using the trees. He's using the trees. Yeah. Uh, Tom, what do you mean there's going to be another Predator movie? I didn't know that. Oh, God. Don't. Uh, are, are you guys serious? You guys are so. So, have you heard of a fellow named Shane Black? I don't know if you're familiar with him. Ugh. He wrote uh, and he is was direct- in this. He was actually in Predator. He was an yeah, actor because he wrote it too. He he wrote and he a screenplay for a, a sequel to the first Predator. I don't know if it's just dispensing with the other stuff, but I, I think it's in that same basic time period. Uh, but uh, it's a Shane Black directed movie in 2018. Uh, Boyd he Holbrook has time is in. to bleed. Our, our really? friend Boyd Holbrook is in it. Oh, oh. 
Yeah. Do you know who our, directed the 1987 Predator? I say our friend, but uh, the guy we like, uh, John McTiernan. Yeah. Why? John why McTiernan. Is, is that like a quiz, a trivia quiz? No, it's just because I love to mention um, Hunt for Red October whenever I can. Uh, that was directed, I think, by Tony Scott. I, like I think it was Gene, Gene, yeah, Gene, Gene Hackman, Denzel Washington, Hunt for Red October. Definitely Tony Scott, Kelly. I don't know what you're thinking. Uh, Back me up on this, Kelly. Wand. Yeah, it's the rich man's crimson tide. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, all right, Predator. Those are uh, Stingus' second favorite HUD. My third favorite HUD. I can think of two more that are better. Kelly Wand. No, wait, where are we? Yeah, what Kelly Wand, what's your, what's your second favorite HUD? Did I screw up the order? No, no, you're, no. you're right on track. You're fine. It's just a weird segue. But it's weird because my number two kind of goes with yours, but I think yours <laughs> is stupid because what's my number two is the Aliens HUD, also from the Alien vs. Predator game, because in those games, you could either hear them coming closer or you could see them, but not at the same time. And I really wait, are you picking it. a video game HUD? Well, I'm saying the HUDs and aliens because they're also they also look shitty, which makes it scarier. Wait, who's like, HUDs? Everybody's a pones, and when when uh, oh, what's okay. this fuck staring at him? He's oh, going, you're talking oh, about the space HUDs. You're talking those the space HUDs. You're talking about the space marine HUDs. Yeah, space marine HUDs. Those aren't HUDs. Yeah, they are. No, they're not. They're video. They're video feeds of what they're looking at in yeah, real time. It says they're vital signs HUDs. on them. The Doesn't matter if they're vital signs on them. That's not a HUD. Okay, um... Cloverfield. <laughs> no. What about in, uh... You burned it in, anyway last week when we were talking about this. You made a joke about it. Did? Yes, it's not... Oh, good lord. Kelly Wand, I think Dingus uh, and I are putting you in jail. In HUD right, jail. Orson Scott, uh, Andrew's game. Nope, you're in HUD jail. Nobody can hear what? you in HUD jail. In HUD jail, nobody can hear you say Ender's Game. That's right. Uh, last Starfighter. Nobody being heard you sol- say that either. Being in solitary is going to be fine, though. Tron. There are no HUDs in solitary. Minority Report? Is that a HUD? All right, Dingus, what is your second favorite HUD? Oh, no, <laughs> we know your second favorite predator. predator. Yeah. My, Tom, what's your second? The be- Oh, <laughs> yeah, number two. Okay. This is kind of cheating, but Kelly Mm. Wand is already in jail, so there's no more room. So I'm going to get away with this. This is not technically a HUD. You know what it is, a HUD. Screw you guys. Uh, Yeah, mine too, then. This is is an early version of a HUD. It's technically called a reflector gun sight. Uh, And it – Kelly Wand, don't go Jesus. Um, We saw it to great effect in Dunkirk, and it's what Tom Hardy used to to aim at the the Messerschmitts he was shooting at. Uh, And it's it's a gun sight that you look through and has a little reflecting – depending on the angle that you're looking at, it has the little – the reticle that you use to aim at. And I love the way that Christopher Nolan was super authentic with this stuff, and that's what those really looked like in Spitfires at those points. However, what I don't love – is that Tom Hardy doesn't know how to lead his target. He can't shoot to save his freaking life, uh, which drives me crazy because I've played video games. I know how to shoot at other airplanes. Tom Hardy can't do it. He sucks at it. He shouldn't have been a pilot. He should have been drummed out of the RAF. relatable to me. It, very, so yeah. I can't do it either. Can't so that's my second guy. favorite HUD is the reflector gun sight in Dunkirk. Uh, 
Kelly, you can. You're free. Go out of jail. Wait, See? why are you sending him out of go jail? Do it, go do whatever you want. Why are you sending him out of jail? It's not a HUD. Stop. Of course it is. It's a display over what you're looking at. What do you mean it's not a HUD? <sighs> it's a re- thing is it uses glass. It's a reflector gun sight where you're looking through a glass surface and it Mine's superimposes like right. it superimposes information, namely a reticle slaved to where the guns are aimed to, to hit over what you're looking at. It's absolutely a HUD. All right. I'll have to why, why are you disputing that? Because I think you're just talking about a gun sight, aren't you? Or a, or a sniper scope. Well, uh, uh, yeah, uh, 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 information over a sniper scope is is a HUD. What about mm. a stethoscope? It's a display a you're HUD? looking at. It's information. The idea is it's information where you're looking, mm. so you don't have to look away for other information. It's so information. No, it's information uh, combined with optics. Yeah, if a microscope had little displays around it, that would be a HUD. See. It's in optics information. There you go. In optics. Dingus. God. Okay. See, see what jail does to most incarcerated <laughs> country in the world. Uh, Kelly Wan, we're going to let you out of jail to tell us your favorite. Oh, no, Dingus. Uh, no, it's Kelly. Kelly Wan, we're letting it you is? out of jail to tell. Your number one, Kelly. Yeah, I've lost number track. One, I've number lost one. track because I had to spend so much time explaining what a HUD is. Yeah, sorry yeah, about that. Unsuccessfully to Dingus. <laughs> My number one favorite HUD in a motion Well, the thing picture. is, I, I, I said – the whole reason I said I'm not sure it's a HUD is because HUD displays hadn't technically been invented yet. It's an oh, early okay. instance of – it wasn't called a HUD. <clears throat> God, I can't – it wasn't called What's a okay, HUD. Don't, don't waste your voice. I, I, well, these, I were, these, were original, original, these were eventually invented to show more information than a gun sight. Um, okay. This is the video this, drone. This early I, just don't rem- I just don't remember this. I thought you were just talking about looking at a reflection. No, he's caught, super cool about showing about showing the, the way that the, the the viewing angle moves, and it's it's like because normally in a World War II fight you would just show the fixed gun sights, but he shows this early instance of what led to a HUD because because what what went from there using this for gun sights is British pilots would would be flying at night. And they would need to get information fed to them from a radar station. So this information was fed to them on a little control panel. And they would look down on the control panel and adjust their eyes to the light there. And then when they would look up at night flying at the, the, the cockpit, their, their eyes would screw up going from the focus to what's on the cockpit and the light on the cockpit to looking out into infinity, basically, in a, in a dark area. So – they took this technology from a reflector gun sight to put the information from the radar display up on the cockpit, uh, and that became – that was called a heads-up display. Okay. So the word wasn't used for this technology, but it was technically a HUD. But I think I was also reacting emotionally to the, this whole argument that him not leading the planes properly is some sort of flaw in the movie. I just think that's an element of – actually flying in combat rather than playing a video game. <laughs> I, I think that people who make that uh, complaint are like, I've flown plenty of missions. They're all, uh, you know, like whatever the lieutenant is in Aliens. Um, how many drops have you done? Yeah, how many simulated? So actually you're absolutely wrong on that, Dingus, because the, uh, if you look at – the footage of pilots shooting at airplanes, and there's plenty available, and it's, it's, I, I consider it great fun to watch this stuff. 
they lead their targets. And that's one of the reasons that that reticle is there, is you use yeah. the reticle to see how far your target is, to see the angle that it is from you, uh, and therefore where you should shoot. And you always shoot in front of a plane if it's moving laterally to you. And the degree to which you shoot in front of it is the degree, literally, that it's moving laterally to you. Um, and that's one of the things that pilots were trained in is to look at the silhouette of an airplane and be able to tell from that silhouette is that, you know, is that five degrees relative to me? Is it 30 degrees? Is it 90 degrees? And to lead it accordingly. Uh, yeah. The shooting that Tom Hardy does in uh, Dunkirk is objectively ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> and, I, okay. and the thing is, I don't think anybody – Nobody really cares except flight sim geeks or, or flight footage geeks or actual combat pilots. Um, and, and I think maybe one of the reasons he did that is because he figures the average person watching this movie, if they saw Tom Hardy shooting at empty space, they would think, that's dumb. Don't shoot there. Shoot where the airplane is. Um, hmm. But I, I have, I have science. I would, think, I would think that leading your target would be a natural thing to do. It depends on right. where the target which is, is. Which is why it should drive you crazy when you're watching uh, Dunkirk and Tom Hardy's not shooting. It's like, now's when you shoot. Don't wait until it's right under your, your uh, reticle. Okay. Maybe we're I not mean, seeing what he sees. It, it's, a facetious, it, it's a specious – like I'm not complaining. It's a, I think it's a specious, a specious criticism of Dunkirk along the lines of uh, oh, that model of Spitfire wasn't in service for two more years. Oh, I mean okay. who cares? For movie making, I understand why it's there, um, but he's absolutely objectively a, a bad shot going by the footage in Dunkirk. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, Kelly, you're number one. Is Spitfire a real thing? Never mind. Yes, My number one is are, oh, yeah, you, oh. I was, I, we could talk about Spitfires. Come on, the Supermarine Spitfire. Spitfire, Kelly Wand. It's iconic. It's no Mustang P51, but I lose. Oh my god, get a load of get a load of dingus, Kelly Wand. Can you believe that? Listeners, send your 262? angry email to Dingus. Yeah. <laughs> um, my number one favorite hide in a movie is from the motion picture episode four when <laughs> Luke's. There's no movie called episode four. What is that? New, is that New Hope? That sounds like a TV show. There's, there's also no movie called The New Hope. Yeah, there is. Isn't there? There's a movie called Star Wars. Maybe that's what you're thinking of. There's a movie called Enter the Dragon. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the uh, HUD in episode four of whatever television? Episode four HUD that's good is the the macro binoculars because <laughs> I like that Luke's looking through them and going, yeah, check out those Banthas guys, and then all of his friends are standing near him watching him, and none of them go, hey, by the way, there's a Tuscarator right in front of you. <laughs> So who are all of his friends? Might want to put those down. What? Who are all of his friends? R two D 2s his friend. Uncle Uncle Owen's there. C three PO. Uh, the land speeder AI. So I don't think Ben is there yet because Ben rescues R5 him after the, the Tuscan Raider knocks him out. Ben's not there yeah, yet. Ben's not there. Right. So oh, it's just the droids. The droids don't warn him. They're not friends no. yet. They're no, like Marty. Isn't there Ben's like Christopher Lloyd, and Luke is like Marty. All of his friends That's include three PO. <laughs> yeah, three PO. He's oh, a protocol. Right. He's a protocol droid. Yeah, 
can't believe well, three PO's not a good friend, is my point. Because he would have gone, Master Luke, look out. So, not, so none of his friends are there. Well, his friend, in quotes. Kelly wants the point is well taken. I think C3PO should have said something at that point. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> he should have said, uh. He loses an arm because he didn't say anything. Was that part of his back. programming? He gets it back. Remember when Luke goes, hit it, 3PO, when they see R2-D2? Did you think they were going to, like, ram R2-D2 when he said that? <laughs> I did. I was like, hit it, 3PO. Oh, shit. That restraining bolt really upset Luke. Okay, what? So that's my number one favorite HUD in a movie, is Luke. Uh, is, is it getting Luke almost killed? All right. But not us, really. Dingus, what's your favorite HUD in a movie? My favorite HUD in a movie has this quote in it. It's the illusion of free will. Mm. And this is from the movie Robocop from 2014. Oh, my God. Of course. Dead gummit. I need to change my number one pick now. Uh, I the love... interstellar of Robocops. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Alexandra did uh, call um, Blade Runner the interstellar. She oh, did boy, not feel as, as happy about it as I did. Um, oh. Robocop 2014, and it's the training sequence where he's tracking down... Um, um, what did you say? You got to be in the mood for Blade Runner. You can't just go in and go, Yeah, I want some Gosling. I want some Batista. Bring it over here. You can't just be barking orders at Blade Runner. Anyway, where he's tra- tracking down uh, Jackie Earl Haley uh, out of all these dudes in the training sequence, uh, and I love how um, I love how the HUD figures into the political discussion about why the, how they can circumvent the law by using this the, this HUD. Once the mask goes down, it changes what his um, experience is, but it's still a man. He's just not making the decision, but. It's still a man because they're trying to circumvent law when they're going through this RoboCop thing. Uh, and I just love the way that whole sequence is filmed, uh, how, how, many, how many dudes are still out there, where they are, what the danger is. Um, so that's my favorite hub, hub, HUD, RoboCop Jesus. 2014. I know, seriously. I thought you were going to pick the part where uh, uh, he realizes he's fired. No, no, it's, it's, it's that training sequence. I love right. that. All right, you guys ready for the best HUD in all of moviedom? Oh, I am. <gasps> a movie you guys haven't even seen, I bet. Oh, opinion. It's a movie I like called Kill Command. <laughs> <laughs> Written and directed, don't laugh yet. Written and directed by Steven Gomez. It's a name you don't know because he's mainly done special effects. But hmm. he made a movie called Kill Command. Uh <clears throat> Kill Command, not for Dingus. Kelly Wand is probably for you. Uh, Kill right. Command is um, Aliens meets Saturn 3. Oh, what's the bad what's part? Saturn 3? What? Vera Foss and Kirk Douglas, bro. Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a love triangle. Oh, it's a meets, meets uh, oh, shoot. What's that? That South African director did that thing where the, the woman is doing the art project with the robot head that the scavenger brought in from the wasteland. Chappie. Robot head. Hardware. <laughs> hardware. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Yeah. It's hardware meets Saturn 3 meets aliens. 
Hmm. So a, a squad of troops are sent on a training mission, uh, and they're accompanied by a corporate – she's like the Burke character, you, you figure, at first, but the movie plays out a little differently. They're accompanied by, value. by a woman who's been, quote, chipped, and hmm. uh, that means she's had a, a neural implant um, mm. and and she, she can use yeah. this to communicate with computers and whatnot uh, and to hack things. Um, and she's played by a lovely young woman who you guys are going to be seeing more of in the next Mission Impossible movie, uh, an actress named Vanessa Kirby. Uh, mm. So she plays this character named Mills who's been chipped. She's the, the corporate representative on this alien uh, – on this, this marine training mission. Uh, and as things go wrong, she figures prominently into what's happening. Uh, and we see through her eyes every now and then, and we see her little HUD, just like you would over the Terminator. And there's lots of cool things that happen with the HUD. She can chat. She can call up information. She can access the internet. Um, the HUD does all kinds of cool things. But the movie has a really cool way of showing you when she's looking at her HUD. And it doesn't affect where the actress – she's got lovely blue eyes. Uh, the actress's eyes light up with this blue, like, digital scanny effect. Um, and she kind of unfocuses, uh, and we see from the outside what that HUD looks like when she's using it. Um, so I love Vanessa Kirby's HUD in Kill Command. Um, there's also the, the soldiers in Kill Command have contact lenses that are yeah. slaved to their rifle scopes. So that they can uh, look through the scope without having to bend their eye down. They can even be looking mm. away at something, aiming their rifle uh, while they're not looking down the, the barrel of the rifle, which is super cool. And which figures prominently into the end of the movie with Vanessa Kirby's HUD, I'll just say. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Euphemisms. So neither of you saw Kill Command. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't see movies about DOS prompts. All right, Kelly Wando. But you'll Vanessa watch Kirby, Catch Fire. Yeah. Right. Ready? They're in the 90s. I've, I've never seen that. I just know Scoot McNary is in it. It's the sum total of what I know about it. Vanessa Kirby Ooh. is in a buddy cop movie with Olivia Thirlby. Holy shit. What's it called? Or is that what it's called? He called Curlby. What are you talking about? Curlby. <laughs> Curlby. Ingus, I'm sure the listeners have some great HUDs. What do they come up with? Indeed, we have Jaime Cabrera. You guys, I only have one that I hope isn't totally obvious. Number one, Toy Story 2. <laughs> what? When Buzz Lightyear has to knock over a display of box oh. toys to open the front door to Al's toy barn, he wakes his arch nemesis Zerg. As Buzz runs out into the parking lot, we see Zerg emerge from his box, and the camera pans behind him. On the back of his head is a small hole that says, <laughs> look here, that would allow kids playing with him to see in Zerg vision. I, I, I love this. This is me talking. I love this because they had a $6 million man doll that you could look through his head. Yeah. Um, so back to Jaime Cabrera. Uh, the effect of which is basically seeing through red plastic with a crosshair pattern drawn on it. <laughs> it's such a short moment, not more than a few seconds, but it's a lovely touch in a movie that takes care in every detail. Still love the show. Jaime, that's Ooh. awesome. I'm so glad I picked this topic now. I didn't know you really liked Toy Story 2, Tom. It's okay. It's okay. The Arthur Joe Jelly says... Oh. It is the perfect movie. Yeah, but oh. no, everybody's oh. like, yeah, Toy Story 3 is great. 
I have no idea. Yeah. Arthur Joven Joven Jelly says Number three, Terminator two, Judgment Day. Ooh. When Arnold shows up, we see his perspective as he sizes up a biker's clothing at a bar. The scene freaked me out when I was younger, and I remember it more than any other HUD instance in the series. Probably because I saw this movie first. Oops. Help number two. Uh, Arthur's number two is RoboCop 1987. Uh. When Murphy is cornered, the man who almost killed his human body, when Murphy has cornered the man who almost killed his human body, he wants to shoot him, but his HUD reminds him to uphold the law. Sneaky good scene. I love how we see through his eyes and how the robotic parts of Murphy are standing in the way of his revenge. And number one for Arthur, and didn't even think of this one, uh, District 9. When Charlton Copley is captured by the Nigerians, he gets thrown near a mech, which wakes up due to Christopher Johnson's son activating the command module. We then see the mech's perspective as it targets all the nearby Nigerians by highlighting them red. There also seems to be a small blue icon over every living thing in the room. The HUD is kind of scary looking, like the mech itself, and the targeting seems pretty on point. Mm. Hold on, Arthur. All right, next we have Keith Leith. Tom used the word optics in his topic announcement. I lean heavily on this. Toptics. <laughs> Keith, number three, Robocop 1987. Dick Jones gets fired and loses his crucial Directive 4 job benefits. Keith's yeah. number two. Oh, yeah, that's, what I was, that, that's not. That's of course yeah. correct. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. great, yeah. Dick's number two. I mean, Keith's Leith's number two. Uh. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Keith. Number two, an American werewolf in London. Uh oh, uh oh. I think there's going to be a problem here. I do not remember any HUDs in that. Jack Goodman, like Sauron, is unable to take physical form, but for a different reason. He is a HUD element, beamed onto David Kessler's lupine um, FOB after a bite makes him enter beast mode. All right. He's in a, the scene near the end of the, scene, the film sees more HUD elements join their parent Goodman to form an on-screen menu of ways to expunge Kessler's monstrous existence. Dick Leaf, go to jail. So aliens. Um, okay. <laughs> now calling him Dick Leaf. Sorry, Dick Leaf. No, Dark Leaf. Leaf. It's your new Number jail one. name, Dick Leaf. That's what they call you in jail now, Dick Leaf. All right. <laughs> Although, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Does his res- okay? Let me think this through. Is what he's saying in support of my point or Kelly Wan's point? You know what? I think it supports my point. I had a point. Our argument about are they real ghosts or are they in his imagination? And by calling them HUD elements, I think he means that – you know what? Dick Leith, get out of jail. You're okay because it, it, it's – it's he's supporting my argument about no, American not. World Finland. He's not? Dick Leith, no. go back to jail. Oh, All right. Keith number ghosts. one, X, the man with the X-ray eyes from oh. 1963. James – Xavier, I don't know if it's pronounced Javier or Xavier. I would guess Xavier because it's X-ray eyes. Applies a tincture of his own devising to his peepers. And after a boner-inducing rock and roll hop where everyone's in the nutty, 
Xavier soon regrets the ineluctable H.U. nature of his D. It's TMI. Good day. Uh, okay, just anybody who writes applies a tincture of his devising to his peepers. I, I don't know that movie, but I wouldn't dare arrest him even if it wasn't a valid choice. Very nice. He's going nice. to be able to lawyer himself out of jail, I think. Good work, Dick Lee. Mm-hmm. Right, Shaheen Ali. Hello, movie dudes. Here are my picks for that's Hudson movies. Second place, in Terminator, we're induced to the eponymous antagonist's HUD as he goes clothes shopping at a bar named Coral. The HUD is helping him with sizes on the live models and helping him find a match. Fuck you, asshole. You need to close <laughs> your boots and your motorcycle. Um, so, Shaheen Ali's number one. In District 9, a low-level bureaucrat, is it, how do you say his name, Wickus? Wickus, yeah, Wickus. Wickus, finds alien help from a mechanized armored device. Crawling into the device, Wickus is surrounded by a HUD written in an alien language he can't comprehend. The most interesting thing about the HUD is how it howls and sputters as the mech is dying under withering attack. Keep up the great casting. Hmm. Kelly Wan, I want you to imagine a movie. Charlotte Copley wakes up in a pit full of bodies and he has all he has on him is a lighter in his pocket and next to him there's a loaded revolver go that's your movie what do you think um so it's like the descent but with dudes but just one dude wait there's one bullet uh i think it's fully loaded Mm. does he have a kill command oh i like where you're going kelly wand are there any ladies in it? Yeah, sure Did, enough. A lady leans over. He's in a pit full of bodies. A lady leans over the rim of the pit, throws him a rope so he can huh. climb out. Huh. And he climbs out, and a movie happens. Can he fire uh, freely? Ah, very good, Dingus. Yes, he can fire freely. Uh, it's a movie called Open Grave, which uh, nobody knows. But it's, oh, another, yeah. it's another example of how Charlotte Copley is awesome. And it's a director that Dingus likes. A guy who did a movie called uh, Il Rey de la Montoya. Ah. He also did a movie called Apollo 18, but let's not talk about that. Does it uh, get the Charles Hocopley balance right? Um. Yes. In that. It, well, all right, wait. What's the Charles Hocopley balance? We talked about that during Free Fire. What, what it, what's like the right amount of Charles Hocopley to get in a movie? Like, like I'm okay you, with. I'm okay with the movie being all Charlotte Copley, I think. It's, it's like, how much do you let him go overboard? How much do you rein him oh, in? Oh, right, yeah. It's not, this is not wacky Charlotte Copley at all. This is Charlotte Copley being badass leading man. Okay. So, uh, it, yeah. it gets it right. It's not like Charlotte Copley just being wacky and Quite crazy. And, uh, is he doing a weird accent or just doing his... No, normal... he's doing... Oh, wait. You know, that's a good question, Dingus. Man, I can't remember. I can't, like, I can't... I All right, well, that's a good sign. Not Dixon. remembering is a good sign. I mean, I'd be sort of sad if he wasn't doing his South African accent. Huh. I don't know. Accent. Accent. Yeah. Everything's an I. Sure I would I. love to hear Shelter Copley and Shirley's Theron both talking in their normal accents. To Theron. Yeah. Yeah, she never does her accent. I know. Or does she even have one? I, can't, I think she kind of doesn't have one anymore. She just ignored it. Yeah. You can it get rid away. of them if you feel it. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Too bad. All right. So uh, uh, that was a District 9. 
All right. So next we have Dave Perkins has written in. Hmm. This is a rare occurrence. Um, and he doesn't give the name of the movie. All right, Dave. All right, this is what Dave I like Perkins, when they give the year. And then they Dave Perkins' email is titled HUD Topic, One Result. The HUD in Sandra Bullock's face shield makes a blurry and then briefly clear appearance as she spins off structure, her breath smearing the HUD as she hyperventilates. We can read the HUD just long enough to see that it confirms how far up shit creek she is. <laughs> I like lots of HUDs, but that particular use of use stands out to me as making an amazing scene perfect. That's where it says cruise control. It's obviously from the heat. Yeah. I don't know yeah. La Potion number nine out of HUD. Is that, what, is that what he's talking about? The heat? No, it's gravity. No. It's got to be gravity. Yes. Oh, gravity. Oh. I don't remember the specific HUD, but now I'm curious what information. I didn't know she in. lost her HUD in The Vanishing, and that's why she vanished. Well, I thought, wasn't she in the original Dread, or was she in... Uh, she was in Demolition, Demolition Man. Man. Right. And she was the bionic woman for a minute. Or bionic kid. Oh, when right. was she a bionic woman? Mm, in the old show... But like a uh, like a niece or something. Wait, are you serious? She was a bionic yeah. child in the TV show. Yeah. Get out of here. That's Animal not true. Cut bionics. She did. Whoa, she that was is super awesome. bionic. So the question I have for you guys, who also had the six million dollar man, uh, did you lose the little microchip that is in his arm when you roll up his little fake rubber skin? No, I was no. very scrupulous about it. I was yeah. really but the thing careful. in his back bugged me because the back was thing you pushed in his back made him lift like an engine and i'm like look i can handle that part (laughs) wasn't there something that shot out to like an arm shot out or something no dingus that was mascatron's arm oh the six million dollar man can't shoot off his arms dingus oscar goldman and exploding i was really i was really careful about that little chip yeah you don't want to but the mascatron steve austin mask had both eyes and it so in a way it was better than the Six million man. But how can you see through it to see what he sees? That exactly. That's because I thought you could trunk. push something in the back of his head to make something shoot out. You don't push it; it's just a hole. You look. What? Through. What does a six million dollar man shoot out of his body, Dingus? I don't you know. Penises? I don't know. He what had do they sneakers, do? Sneakers, because he was running a lot. You know, he's an <laughs> astronaut. <Yeah. laughs> he's wearing a red jumpsuit. Anyway, if. If Dave's choice is gravity, and I guess it is, this is a great choice. Yeah, yeah I, like I that. love that choice, and I didn't even Big think of it. Foot. Darn it, Dave! Well done, Dave. Darn it, Dave! Uh, next, we have uh, Wolfgang Schuster. Wow! Once again, we have awesome emailers with awesome That's names. Impressive. That's a good one. So, Wolfgang Schuster. Uh, hey guys, finally writing in again to mention my favorite HUD, and that is Iron Man's. What yeah. I like most is the angle from which it's shot. Every right. other HUD I can think of is shot in first person. But getting to see the actor's face is much more interesting to me yeah. than seeing through their eyes. Thanks for the great pos- podcast, Wolfgang. I didn't even think about it as being a POV thing. That's interesting. Uh, Wolfgang, yeah. I think I think Sun- Danny Boyle did it in Sunshine before Iron Man. Am I really? Aren't I right about that? I don't remember. You see the face and the head in the same way. When they're going yeah. out to do the repair? Yeah, yeah, when they put on those big, weird, uh, sunproof suits. Oh, but yeah. even then, though, it's practical because it's reflected. 
Well, as Iron Man, it's just an aesthetic choice. And there may not have even been a HUD on their suits, though, but I just remember that same shot, which we're, which we, I think, uh, associate with Iron Man now, from, like, inside the helmet, where you see the actor's face and mm-hmm. the faceplate in front of him. Danny Boyle did some really cool stuff with that in Sunshine. Well, if it's a HUD shot in reverse, isn't it a duh? See, Kelly Wand, why didn't you say yeah. something that funny earlier? I don't know. I'm going to go, I'm gonna go back to jail just out of admiration for <laughs> Dingo and his power. His uh, so um, that's Wolfgang Schuster. all we've got. I'm just looking over. Where's Markinson? Where's uh, Markinson did not uh, send in. He just he, – I think he was um, – I think he was taken by how much – he didn't quite know what to say about the movie yet. Kind of right. like what Tom was expressing at the beginning of the podcast. Of, Too soon. Like, I, I wish I could have more time to think about it and see it again. Um, I think Markinson was having some of those same feelings about Blade Runner, and I think that that was preoccupying him instead of. Dingus, you're so. you're in the you're not in jail, but you're in uh, you're in a holding cell. Am I? We're good. We might process you later. We might just set you loose. But the charge is you are being charged with not bringing up a movie called The Wall. Oh, uh, yeah. And I was going to during our runners-up, but fair enough. Why am not I Not during the runners-up. It should have been one of your picks. I didn't pick it because I, I thought you were going to pick it, and I thought we implicitly agreed on that. Yeah. All right, Dingus, you're in the holding cell. Let's, do you have anything to say? Come Why do you want to talk figure- about The Wall, Tom? So that's got a really cool HUD because Aaron Taylor Johnson is a spotter for a sniper, and yeah. he uses a separate scope. It's and it's got a little HUD, and we see through his scope a lot. Um, the wall is very much about people looking at each other through scopes. It's a sniper standoff movie, and it's really but good. I, Doug Lyman just did it. Yeah, go ahead. In, in my defense, I was I wasn't I was I I looked at it and I just didn't think it. I was thinking of things that come down over your face. I understand what you're saying, and I want to talk about the wall because I think it's really worth talking about. But I didn't think about it in those terms, and now I understand, especially since you explained uh, what you were talking about with Dunkirk to me, that it that it applies. I just didn't well, understand that. The, the scope that he uses and that we see through ends up figuring very prominently into the story. And also figuring prominently into the story is the fact that it gets a bullet and it, it takes damage to the front of it, and it gets cracked. Right which is kind of symbolic to the story as well at a certain point. Uh, mm-hmm. So the HUD, that little display, that scope that he looks through, uh, is mechanically, narratively, and thematically a significant part of the wall. Uh, Dingus, should Kelly Wan see the wall? And if so, why? I, I think everybody should. Um, the reason I watched the wall is that it's the Doug Lyman movie that came out this year that's really good. Uh <laughs> And I watched it because we watched we had to watch American Made, and I, and I was looking up as I as is my want. What else has he done? I know most of the stuff he's done. I'm going to watch it. Wait, he did this movie called The Wall. I've never heard of that. Um, so I watched The Wall, and it's really good. It's a really good movie. It's got and it's kind of related a little bit to the movie we just saw because there's a guy named John Cena in it who was also a fighter uh like one of the dudes in blade runner um but and i didn't even know and i can't remember his name aaron what aaron taylor johnson aaron taylor johnson for a instance. name yeah. as generic as his acting style 
three, three names. <laughs> Let, let's pick three <laughs> names for our kid. Smith, Smith, Smith. <laughs> um, but you don't even know it's him until the end of the movie. He's I, really I good. No I, he, like, he, I, know. I was like, who's he, this unknown kid in this movie? He's great. He's really and, good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and John Cena is the guy who's taking second billing to this dude. Who is this dude? How did they get him? Uh, it's it's basically three really really good performances, really strong, tight script with with some smart ideas, well directed. Uh, it doesn't overreach, um, and it's a Doug Liman movie that you that is really really worth seeing. And Tom's right about the uh, about how the how the the spotting scope works and how important it is to the movie. It's a man. If you can see the wall, please see the wall. And you can see the wall. It's uh, available for streaming online. Yeah. Yeah. I should have said that. Uh, so there you go. What do you think of that? Kelly wand. All right. I'll see it. Is it pink Floyd? Okay. I won't see it. No, you must see it. Sorry. All right. I'll see it. (laughs) Big screen. Not necessary. All we are saying is, Are you ready for next week's 3x3 topic? No, I want to do a couple more runners-up. All right. Uh, Did we see a movie recently where somebody put a contact lens in, like Jeremy Renner or somebody, and it was a HUD on the contact lens? Oh, are you thinking of Kill Command? No, I'm not thinking of Kill Command. But Uh, you you bringing up contact lenses made me think of that, where where somebody puts a contact lens in and, and it's like taking pictures of people. God, is it Kingsman? It might be. Yeah. Oh, Dingus is all into remembering Kingsman Golden Circle. Ha ha. But and then the contact lens gets all futzed up. Uh, I can't remember what movie. (laughs) But the movie I really wanted to choose, but I couldn't watch it again, was Firefox because I was hoping. (laughs) (laughs) Telepathic. I was hoping that movie would have uh, a HUD in it, but I couldn't watch it again, so I couldn't confirm it. I watched uh, the climactic dogfight in uh, Top Gun. It is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that is so. It is so dumb. Oh, There's not much planes can do. They can fly upside down right next to each other and flip each That's other. That's the off. thing. That's the opening shot. They never do anything better than that. Yeah. You led with your best. They buzzed the tower. Yeah. Damn it, my coffee. No. Tom Skerritt. <laughs> uh, Tara, yeah, is it James Tobin who plays the guy? Your your uh, your ego's writing checks your body can't cash. Is that his name? I think that's his <sighs> name. Sounds familiar. I don't remember. I wanted to do Videodrome, but I didn't think Tom would let. Where's there a HUD in Videodrome? That's the thing. It's all a HUD. Oh, you would have been in so thing. much trouble. Oh, <sighs> my God. Oh. That Kelly, one, that, that would have been that would have been capital punishment. Really? No, okay. I would have. I would have given you a stay of, of execution. <laughs> no, Kelly wouldn't have murdered you for that. <laughs> J.K. J.K. <laughs> all right, that's all I've got for runners. All right, Kelly, what are we doing next week, and how can the listeners participate? And what movie are we seeing? Uh, well, all right. What do these lines all have in common? It was a run by fruiting. Yes, oh, have food some. Fight. Oh, sorry. Was she a great big fat person? You can say that again. Tell me about it. Absolutely not. That's right. They're all applause lines. So <laughs> next week's topic is your three favorite applause lines in movies. 
Whether what? it's, was she a great big fat person? Or, yes, have some. We've sounds all like, seen movies. Yeah. Sounds like Dingus might have questions, Kelly Wand. We've all seen movies Dingus has seen. <laughs> so, if you have candidates for best applause lines in movies, send them to the email address 3x3 at quarter to 3.com, and I, I will read them in this voice. Uh, I've got two There's lines no anime because there's no applause lines in anime. <laughs> so, it's all just uh, visual. Dingus, you had questions, yes. I said I have two lines for you. Okay, what are they? No, you can wait. Uh, Kelly, what, what are we seeing? I guess we're seeing the movie It. What? That was oh, never man. even on the tip. Oh, actually, I was choosing what we're seeing. It was going to be Gerald's Game or, or Meyerowitz. Oh, yeah, stories. Gerald's Game. No, yeah, we're going to do – yeah, we're not Gerald, – Gerald's Game is so dumb. It's, you know, what? you guys watch that at your own risk. It's terrible. It so good. There's so so much horrible. Going on. Uh, we're going to see uh, the Meyerowitz stories, new oh. and selected – uh, it's Noah Baumbach's new movie, so uh, join us for that. If you see that and you have any thoughts or points you'd like us to discuss, please send those in as well to 3x3 at quarter3.com, and we'll include those in the podcast. Before we talk about <sighs> three favorite applause lines, whatever that's going to be. A, that's an applause line. Hey, you said it just now. All right. Join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Murkowski. It's Christian Murkowski. And Kelly Wand. Uh, Inspector Clouseau uh, fought World War II, I read in Wikipedia. So I'd like to see that movie. Also, uh, my favorite HUD, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Had a really good one. Quiet now. I need to sink. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared. Then lucky observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. They call you okay. Brave Mother. Tell them I'm eating. <sighs> two, two, four. See? Dude, that's more fun than watching him fight John Batista. Or what's his John, name? John Batista. <laughs> David's Batistas. What is David Bautista?